Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, uh, I have found personally that i'm getting like i'm 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 over people asking how's it going because it's going shitty so uh like i mentioned last week my my grandpa was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer and given months to live so on top of like and on top of all of the shit that a lot of um, people are dealing with in regards to the political situation in the U.S. right now, it's like it's it's this it's not better, you know. Like there's good things and there's 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 bad things, but it's not better. So I'm I'm getting away from that question, and I know because I always start the question with "How's it going?" And sometimes you just don't want to get into a conversation, but you also don't want to like give a platitude. So instead, I'm gonna I'm gonna frame. Or top of show like this, no. It's Thanksgiving week. We're recording a little early. Uh, by the time y'all hear this, you will be freaking out about Gilmore Girls, and we haven't seen it. We're going to talk about that next week. Yeah. Uh, um, but it's been very helpful for me this week to think about, because I, I stumbled across something that I actually am very thankful for in the pop culture world from this year that I kind of rediscovered and re-immersed myself in this week, and it's been very helpful, and that has been... The Steven Universe panel from Comic-Con and just kind of reliving that and listening to a lot of Steven Universe music. I've listened to a lot of crazy girlfriend music and Over the Garden Wall and stuff like and, and that's that's been, you know, really nice to just kind of remind myself that, yeah, there is stuff that I'm really thankful for this year in like TV stuff um, and in, in like pop culture. So for me, I'm, this uh, this week has been being I've been thankful for. Steven Universe and the Steven Universe panel at Comic-Con and overall a fabulous Comic-Con 2016 experience. Is there anything that you ha- that you have that you're thankful for this TV year? Um, well, I mean, we're coming up on, I think, not to be like smaltzy and sentimental, but I'll be smaltzy and sentimental. I mean, we're coming up on the anniversary of me starting the show with you. Yeah, and... we're going to start our, our, our best of the year planning, and that is, you know, what kicked you off officially. So right. we're getting up there. Yeah. So we're coming up on that. So I'm actually really thankful for that, um, that we've been doing this for a year, and it's been really great and a real highlight for me. Um, and a really nice steady constant, which has been really nice to have, especially since, like, I uprooted my life halfway through the year. Um, so having something that was very consistent in terms of what I needed to do each week, except for those two weeks when I wasn't around to do it, Mm -hmm. um, was really helpful in getting me grounded and getting me situated in my new life up here. And so that was really helpful. And it also helped me talk about television and talk about it with you. And was really important as like, um, my freelance stuff shifted, um, pretty seriously over the summer and so being able to engage television with you on a weekly basis in a very wide-ranging discussion has just been really, really great. And it's also been helpful because I don't get to talk to, about TV with a lot of people anymore since I moved up here. Um, mm-hmm. Since my closest friend who live in proximity just doesn't watch live TV very much. 
Um, she watches Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and that's pretty much it. And so it's been really good to have someone to talk to each week about a lot of TV that we both watch and hear about TV that you watch. And it's just been really, really great, and I'm really thankful for it. I'm really thankful for you wow. and you being present in my life for the past year. It's been really, really great to like do this every week with you. So thank you very much. Well, and you're going to get me all sappy. We're saving that for the end of the year podcast, sir. But I, but obviously, I'm right there with you. Well, then fine. <laughs> I'm thankful that I've been rewatching Star Trek Next Generation to put off watching episodes of Star Trek Enterprise, which is coming up on a DVD show. Yeah, spoiler alert, <laughs> listeners. Uh, it's Noel's fault. It is. It's Noel's fault. <laughs> That I will suit. I put it off so far, but yeah, I also need to start watching. Oh God, rewatching some, but also watching some Star Trek Enterprise that I haven't seen before. I have seen that finale. We're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about that. Yeah, basically, I've been like for every episode of Enterprise, I watch an episode of Next Generation. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's gen- a good way to do it. Next Cleanse gen- the palate. Yeah, next generation's my jam, but we'll talk about that in a week or so. But yeah, so I'm I'm thankful for next generation. Also, just like as we were talking about, like comfort food, um, a couple weeks ago, um, in terms of what we've been turning to, and pr- previously I wasn't turning to anything because I was just kind of immersing myself in everything um, that mm-hmm. happened. But like after hanging out with some folks on Sunday, I just felt better. A little bit in terms like I got to interact with a lot of people who felt very both afraid but also had ideas and plans for what they were going to do and how we could really kind of put forward something to help us and help what the direction of the country and I felt really good after that I felt really energized in part because I got to talk to people and I don't get to talk to people face to face in person very mm-hmm. often um, but at the same time, I just kind of felt better about it. And then I was just turning to stuff and next generation for me is like a pinnacle of Star Trek for me personally, cause it's like my Star Trek in the same way people have like their doctor, like next generation mm-hmm. is my Star Trek. And it's just, it's so humanistic and it's so wants to be the best of everyone can be, which is a central message of Star Trek as a whole. But Next Generation for me just really digs into that in certain ways. And I've been re- just rewatching random episodes, and it's just, I really love that show. And I'm very happy that I turned thought to turn to it while I was watching Enterprise and just go, yeah, we are good. We can be good, and we should be good, and it's possible to be good. And that was a good reminder for me to have that sensation and to see that reflected in some television so i'm thankful for star trek the next generation this week as well (laughs) that's that's terrific and you know a little other star trek news i'm thankful for we had our first casting announcement for star trek discovery and it's michelle yo yeah she's a badass she's terrific i love her um so i'm we, we have no idea who she's playing um but I don't care because she's on the show. So mm-hmm. how do you feel about it? I mean, you're calling her a badass, so you must be as excited as I am. Dude, Michelle Yeoh is awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and she's she's a terrific actress. And she's also a badass. So, like, she's she's in the Ven- the central part of that Venn diagram. Um, and it's also just – it's it's a um, 
it tells you some of the priorities of the show that the first casting announcement they make, but obviously she's a big name, but yes. the first casting announcement is a woman of color. Yeah. That is like that, that speaks to what we've already been hearing from like Brian Fuller when he was uh, one of the co-showrunners. Um, but just in general about uh, Star Trek Discovery really prioritizing having a more diverse cast of characters so meaning not just white people but also meaning aliens also meaning you know like lots of different kinds of things um so i was very heartened by that so we'll see what exactly happens but for like i know that it was a it seemed like it was a priority to have a woman of color be the captain of the ship who will not be the main character of right. the show so maybe it'll be captain yo and maybe it won't maybe she'll be somebody else but like you know i i just i was pleased with the like the the casting of her on the show is just cool because i'm glad she'll be on my tv or your computer or whatever yeah (laughs) my computer screen um but also again because of what it says about uh, you know like this is how they're beginning to drum up the next phase of support for the show and having that start with her is terrific uh, i think um also grateful and thankful this week for we got for a belatedly I'm belatedly thankful for an iTunes review that we got over um, on the MP3 feed. This was somebody, uh, the, the the reviewer's Wine Freak, who um, wrote this review on September like 30th or something, but it just showed up on my iTunes, so I don't know what I was doing wrong. Um, we only got three stars right. because apparently we need to articulate and... And they said, um, I don't know if we need to like drink some booze or something. Just slow talk, talk slower. Uh, specifically, Noel, you're supposed to talk slower. And I thought that was really funny because I'm pretty sure I talk way faster than you do. I <laughs> so, think so too. Like I think I slow yeah. down a good bit sometimes. Like right now. Uh, yeah. But, but oh, we also say um too much. And I used to edit out ums. And this is how it used to take me seven hours to edit the podcast back when it was only two hours long. And I stopped doing that because even I'm not that crazy. I, I, sh- I very quickly stopped doing that in the first year of the show. But um, but yes, there's another one for me. So so a few ums. But one, uh, um, one uh, thing that they mentioned in the review that I, will, that I will certainly take to heart and I think we can both do a better job of is to repeat the names of the shows in the middle of the segment or the episodes, like when we were talking for a while about something kind of like, you know, it doesn't, it wouldn't hurt to mention this, the name of the show or the name of the episode again, like at the end of the segment. Cause I know when I'm listening to podcasts and people are talking about things, um, if I haven't seen it yet, I certainly can, by the end of the segment on the movie or the TV show, forget what it was. So like if, if they're talking about a movie and I'm like, not interested at first because I haven't seen it. And then by the end of their conversation, I'm like, yeah, I should check that out. What, what was it again? So <laughs> I'll try to be better about that wine freak. Yeah, no, we can do that. I think that's easy enough to do. Um, and I'll do some vocal exercises and uh, start <laughs> studying up on my uh, Stan Milofsky, Um well, yeah. Or do we just need to drink more? Well, as soon as I stop taking painkillers, I mean, we can do that. Well, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Well, let's just save it for Clexicon, right? Oh, God. We're going to be so drunk. <laughs> I feel like like we're going to be talking at the end of the, the podcast. Um, the guest this week is uh, Simon Howell, of course, from former co-host. Uh, currently, you can find some of his podcasting over at TV Roundtable. Um, uh, always lovely to talk with Simon. We're talking about A Touch of Cloth, which was, again, another 
comfort food kind of show for me this week. Just tonally, it was exactly what I needed this week. Um, but he mentioned San Junipero, and I forgot to mention this when we were talking about it, which is an episode of Black Mirror. Um, we're going to have to make sure we watch San Junipero before we get to Clexicon, oh. or else they might just kick us out. Yeah, no, we have so much <laughs> stuff to watch before Clexicon, unless lest they kick us out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Which, fair enough. Yeah. I could understand. It's a lot, a lot of, uh, like, every time they announce another guest, I'm like, y- y'all are way too fancy for us now. I just keep waiting for them to be like, actually, guys, we don't have space for you anymore because we are a big deal. Um, but they haven't yet, so we'll see. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, um, um. <laughs> I'm just going to be super conscious of it. Yeah, well, I know what I know what my voice looks like in a sound wave form when I say um. So that's how you know, like that's how conscious I am of it as well. It's depressing. You just see like ah, oh, that's another um. There's no way to edit it out. Ugh, you know, good times. No, so there's a lot to watch um, before Clexicon, but I'm very excited about that. So yeah, that's enough. That's something that we'll be thankful for next year. Uh, yes, but. Yeah, so it, it just I feel like we'll see. I met maybe next week. You know, like we were recording at at a normal time I would have watched Gilmore Girls by now maybe that'll be something that I will you know be thankful for this TV year as well but um, speaking of our end of the year coming up and your one year anniversary as official co-host of the Televerse coming up very exciting Um, listeners now that uh, I am no longer making myself crazy trying to watch everything that is a thing um, there are some things I have missed uh, this year in TV. If you have any suggestions of shows or episodes uh, or performances that you think we should be taking into consideration for the end of the year, please let us know now. Yeah, because I need, I need it now. <laughs> we need to know now. <laughs> end of year listings and listenings and stuff. First of all, what we do at the Televerse is a, it takes a lot of time and prep work. Um, even if we pare it down to a more sane version this year, uh, it still takes a lot of, you know, we think about that quite a bit and it takes a lot of um, time to kind of put it all together. And if we're going to watch other stuff to be in consideration, the more notice we have, the better. So please reach out with your um, things that you think we, we haven't talked about in the podcast or that, that we might've missed that are worth um, ch- seeking out. Uh, I usually I always like discovering new stuff at the end of the year that you know that has slipped through the cracks and that people think we should check out. I it's going to be an interesting end of the year list. Like I know a few things, yeah, that I definitely care about, but like it, a lot of other stuff is just kind of jumbled together. So yeah. I haven't started my process yet. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I've started. I've I'm, I've got a pretty solid like idea of what the top twenty list looks like already. Um, mm-hmm. in part because that was just really easy and I don't really care about ranking things very much. So mm-hmm. it's just going to be like, I care about like the top three, top five, and then everything else I just kind of shuffle and deal. Um, because ranking is bad, I think. Um, I just give you everything in alphabetical order if I could. Um, yeah, yeah, but, um, doing the rest of the whole Smorgasborgi, um, will be the challenge, um, mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and again, if there are categories y'all think we need to include, let us know because we might be keeping a lot of them or we might be throwing a lot of them out and coming up with new ideas, depending on what, like when we're thinking on the year, what presents itself as things that are worthy of discussion. Um, So 
We'll see. Let us know what you think the best montages of the year are. Yeah. And the best fight and, scenes. Just go ahead and let me know that right now so I can just steal that idea from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I know that it'll be uh, probably, once again, the most challenging pick will be best song, best music, because there's so much amazing original music. Um, and, of course, a strong contender in that will be Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So let's hear another entry from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend here. This is going to be Thought Bubbles from this week's episode uh, as we take a break and then we'll come back with our week in comedy. So we'll be right back after this. Well, I don't mind being alone. No, no. I'm not afraid of what enters my mind when I'm so low. I'm fully capable of taking advantage of this time. No, I don't mind being alone with my thoughts. Oh, oh, I'm totally fine alone with my thoughts. Check it. Life is so sweet when you take it light. Nothing can go wrong when the sun is bright. That reminds me that I barely passed lifeguard school. That's why that kid almost died in that pool. That's a bad thought. This week in comedy, we're going to talk a bit about Search Party, uh, which had its premiere this week, The Mysterious Disappearance of the Girl No One Knew. I've seen just that one, but you've seen the first four. This is airing all week with two episodes uh, a day, so by the end of the week, it'll be all all out there. We'll probably talk a bit about it again next week, but I'll be talking about the first episode. You'll be talking about the first handful. Then I'm going to talk about the You're the Worst finale from last week. You knew it was the snake and no longer just us. Then we'll both chime in with uh, Jane the Virgin, Chapter 50, and we'll round things out with Craziest Girlfriend. Why is Josh's ex-girlfriend eating carbs? Um, So first up is Search Party. Uh, I really enjoyed this first episode, and were it a regular week, I would have been very excited about this this format for doing a mystery show in 10 episodes, two episodes a day. Um, I think it's a really fun way to do it. And um, at least with what I've seen so far, uh, it seems like the show is really suited to that. So I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching more. Uh, Noel, what did you think of these first four episodes? And um, like, and do you, do you think like after one episode, I, I don't really know if this is, there's a mystery. They solve the mystery and then it's the end of the show. Or do they try to come up with a new mystery? Like, how is this, is this something that feels like it can easily do a next season? Right. Uh, I think the, I don't know the answer to that question yet. Um, in part because a lot of the show, at least for the first four episodes, um, is very much about giving us like suspects for want of a better term or people around Chantel, who's the girl who is, has disappeared and who our main character Dory has seen and is now trying to find uh, somewhere in New York that they're just like setting up a lot of stuff in the first four episodes. And a lot, a lot of it is particularly the third episode begins to like set up potential ideas for who or what is responsible for Sean tell disappearing. Um, I wasn't like a huge fan of the premiere um, I felt mm-hmm. it was a very, I, it felt like a very stilted, oh, these millennials are so aimless and lost type of 
premiere episode that I was just really frustrated and I wasn't quite sure what the tone of this was going to be. Um, and I couldn't decide if it was like, oh, we're going to do, we're going to kind of make fun of them and satirize them, but then put them into this mystery thing where they can find meaning in their lives through this search for something. And I just, I wasn't quite sure tonally how that was going to work for me. So I was happier when the, the next handful of episodes kind of steered away from that, that approach and that tone of them trying to find purpose and Dory in particular trying to find some sort of meaning um, through this search for Chantel. Uh, but it, like I said, so it gets better. I'm intrigued to see more of the show. Um, it's like you said, it's airing two, two a day, but it's also already all on demand. Mm-hmm. So TBS is just like, watch it however you guys want. You kooky millennials. <laughs> and so I'm excited to finish it this week. Um, I'm probably going to watch some more after we get done recording because I have to make time and space to catch up on some other stuff this weekend. Plus Gilmore Girls. Uh, so, but I'm I'm excited mainly about the fact that we're getting this kind of film noir type of vibe with the show uh, that steadily ramps up. Um, which makes New York feel very different from other type of young people in New York shows. So very much, especially after the first episode, I immediately compared to this in my brain to like Broad City, where New York and Broad City is just this kind of weird, wild place where anything can happen. And the New York in Search Party feels distinctly different than that. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm intrigued by seeing how those tones play out with one another. Uh, so, ba- but based on your just premiere what did you like what did you respond to how did you feel about like dory as our detective uh within the film noir um setting and yeah how were you feeling about it for me the um i didn't have the issue of uh the tired millennial Mm -hmm. comedy uh that you were having because i was keying into most of the characters as just terrible (laughs) not because they were millennials but because they were terrible because <laughs> they're obnoxious um and so that really helped for me temper the um that because that's been a running thread through so many especially on cbs uh comedies um this season and last and it's just hasn't been funny i very much appreciated on crazy ex-girlfriend uh last week when they had the subplot about millennial the millennial getting participa- participation trophies but the joke was about her parents who are the ones giving them. So why are we blaming millennials right. for wanting trophies all the time when they're not the ones who were doing that? Um, so the, 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 some of the jokes that just keep copping up in this kind of thing uh, are, weren't funny to begin with, but I'm certainly tired now for me. That didn't come up, like I said, in this, because I just keying into, okay. So I like Dory cause Ali Shawkat, Shawkat, I should say. Uh, and she's amazing. She's delightful. And, um, and then I'm like, oh, and her boyfriend's the worst, and her friends are terrible, and um, maybe she's going to, through this process, grow and realize that and, you know, find some new friends, or maybe she's going to find that there is, and we are going to grow with her and find that there is depth in these other characters that we just aren't appreciating or looking for yet. Um, so I guess basically I think the, the, um, the charm... Um, and interest of 
that Shawkat, you know, like the charm of Shawkat and the interest in that character because of her performance um, is, is getting me to give the show a lot of benefit of the doubt with that element. Um, and, um, and, and then, like you said, uh, the, the feel of this New York is, uh, is fun and is, is a little more distinct. And I like that Dory for me, at least already in the first episode feels like a rounded human being, um, more than the lead in this kind of a show often does. Like you didn't feel like, like they kind of, they, they might be going like the, this mystery noir route, but you don't have, you know, instead of the, um, the approach of having the, the tropes, the characters, like the, the hardened detective and like the, the dame and like these different types that, um, other mystery shows like to really engage with and play with they're, they're instead going the, no, these are, there's a more regular person in this mystery. And, and I, I was enjoying that approach in the first episode. Are these issues or, or like elements that continue in the later ones, or is that, you know, more what I'm, hoping to see of the show than maybe what the show is trying to actually show me. No, I think you're correct in that, especially when it comes to Dory. Um, the, her, her approach for things is very real person centric. Um, I think that takes a shift uh, based on just the episode description I saw when I, on episode five, before I turned it off that she'll start veering into more detective route. But even within, like, episode four, uh, she throws a dinner party to interrogate, basically, and get information out of Chantel's boyfriend um, to find out what he knows, if anything. And it all just goes horribly awry, of course. So there's very much this cloak and dagger approach that she tries to take but there's not a winking self-awareness to it either so it plays it very straight and it plays in like what you were saying a very sort of real with a sense of realism to how someone like dory would try and solve this as opposed to thinking like sam spade or philip marlowe or so forth and so or veronica mars Mars, for that matter right so it's very much a sort of less heightened kind of Veronica Mars, um, which is, which is again, interesting. And I'm, I'm intrigued to see more, which I had watched the premiere a couple of weeks ago when TBS had made it available around the time people of earth premiered and was kind of like hemming and hawing about it. So after watching a few more today, I'm more interested to see what continues to go on and see, see what happens. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I I always appreciate and and enjoy when uh, we have like we tend to be on the same page on a lot yeah. of stuff. But every now and again, there'll be a show that I'm like, yeah, and you're like, yes, uh, I could see. Okay, yes, <laughs> uh, or vice versa. So this sounds like this is one of those. So I look forward when we're on the same like seeing the same number of episodes on it. I look forward to right. our conversation. Um, uh, the next show we have here. Oh, and that was search party <laughs> and it's first, uh, is first, uh, the season is now available at TBS, um, on demand or it'll, it's all airing this week. By the time you guys hear this, it has aired. Um, uh, next up is the, you're the worst finale. You knew it was a snake and no longer just us. So, um, the big, takeaway from this finale obviously is the ending where jimmy proposes to gretchen um and she says yes and then she says oh this is lovely we're not we're no longer just us we're family now and then that 
triggers something in him where he abandons her on the and drives away. Um, and bad Jamie, bad. Uh, but I do think uh, I, 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 it feels contrived somewhat. Um, I do think they were kind of making Gretchen rather annoying in the last scene, the way that she says Jimmy, um, that his just she says his name in an annoying way, like, oh, man, I want to say like eight times in the span of 30 seconds or something, um, which felt like a very distinct choice by the in the script and also in the performance. But and this idea of this is this being the future and this them being family and all of Jimmy's issues centering around the death of his father and what family means and all of that um, is, you know, it, it's nice to see that they're going to continue that and not try to have a pat answer to that by the end of the season. Um, I feel like we're finally somewhere interesting with Lindsay that we should have been a year ago. So it, yay, at least there's baby steps in that direction. I don't care about Lindsay's now ex-husband even a little bit. The actor is fun and funny and good at what they're asking him to do, but I don't, I don't care. Um, and the way that it looks like they're going to try to like have dark him maybe um, next year is not interesting to me. So hopefully they'll just kind of cut bait with that character for most of the season at least. But I'm glad that Lindsay finally is doing something different. The writers will have an opportunity to do new things with her next season. Uh, poor Dorothy. The stuff they gave Dorothy and Edgar um, by the end of the season was like really um, hit home. I, I thought it was really effective. The actress, I don't, I feel bad I don't have her name in front of me. The actress who plays Dorothy has been terrific these last, particularly the last few episodes where she got a little bit more to play with. Um, and uh, I just really hope they're not trying to, like, lead to the previously teased Lindsay-Edgar pairing that, like, I don't, I don't think they'll do that. Um, but now they could because both of them are single. But um, hopefully that's a mislead or, like, they're just kind of messing with the audience, getting us to think that they'll do that, but they're smarter than that. And in the past, they've shown themselves to be smarter than that. But uh, I, I was bummed that Samara Wiley's character is moving, um, though she did say they could Skype. They could continue to have sessions over Skype. So there's a potential she could come back. But but talking about like mental health and like the the and her her being like proud mama for the work that Gretchen has done, you know, even though she's still terrible, um, was really nice and uh, a good way of affirming like the importance of that well even though there's they derive a lot of humor out of you know Gretchen and, and her being messed up and where she's at and everything there were still some really nice real intense kind of moments in these last few episodes particularly when when Gretchen and Jimmy are fighting and talking about how they can't both be broken at the same time and Gretchen's still broken she's getting better but she's still broken and Jimmy's like yeah but my dad just died so you can't tell me I can't be broken you know like there's some really good stuff there with that as well. Um, so I, I feel bad for not liking the season more because <laughs> like in theory, I love all this stuff, but um, I certainly didn't feel like the need that I had to see this right away. Um, and I, I, I think I am at the point with you the worst where I respect it more than I actively enjoy it or, or like can't wait to see it kind of a thing. I'm more, like I find it more interesting than, 
immediately engaging, um, which is such, you know, damning with faint praise. But, but uh, yeah, I think that for me, the show has not come together yet with all of its potential from season one. And then the, the stuff it showed that it was interested in exploring in season two and season three, and that it was willing to explore when they really excelled with like topics like Gretchen's depression or Edgar's PTSD. Um, usually other parts of the show weren't, didn't come together as well with that. Um, hopefully in the next season they can bring everything together to the peak. You're the worst, but if not, at least this is a show interested in these topics. So um, it's, it's a long way to say pretty much how I felt before, but I do, I do, I did really like what they give Lindsay with like the title of the second to last episode. You knew it was a snake. Um, I thought was a really beautiful moment of self-awareness from her. And hopefully that means they're bringing now to her to a better and more interesting place and storyline in the next season. So we'll see what happens. Um, any of that strike any bells? I know you don't watch the show. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I don't really have a response to any of that um, without like context to the show. Yeah. Mostly just in terms of, I guess my question becomes, do you watch season four? Yeah, you can watch season watch, four, yeah. But then my question becomes, is, is, is it still, it based on everything that you, how you've been talking about things as opposed to what you were talking about, is this something that you kind of let build up and watch like a few episodes at a time yeah. now? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. As opposed to racing over to the DVR to, to watch right. it. Definitely. That's where I'm at with the show right now. And, um, again, it's, it's, as we get more niche and more and more niche television, the stuff that, if that this, that, that speaks directly to your experience, um, is gonna, is gonna be all the more powerful. But so, so if there are people for whom this speaks directly to the experience and it is incredibly powerful and, I completely get it. I completely get people who love this show. Um, for me, it doesn't. And so I'm interested in it and I think it's very good, but I don't have a visceral gut reaction to it. I, I'm not like, I need to watch the next episode right now. Um, and, um, and, and I, I guess that's, it seems like that's a logical extension of having television that is more and more niche. Um, and it doesn't need to, it, the trouble with that though, is that there's plenty of shows that I, race to go watch that don't actually speak to my experience but that maybe are stories i haven't seen before or or things that i'm maybe just because they're shiny and newer i don't know um but yeah we'll see maybe we'll, we'll see what happens with season four but right now i would anticipate like you'd said uh that i'll probably watch the premiere and then let a few build up and kind of marathon them together and kind of go that way but um again that was you're the worst and it's finale um, but next up we have Jane the Virgin chapter 50. And for me, uh, I thought this episode was, was solid. Um, but mostly I don't trust Catalina because when Alba and Michael don't like someone, <laughs> trust their gut. And also Raph, does Raph make good relationship choices besides Jane Let's be honest. No, but also Raph doesn't just hasn't had a lot of experience making relationship choices since he's That's he's true. such a Lothario. I was much keener on this episode than I think you were because I was just in a roller coaster of emotions of 
<laughs> Why is Rogelio not talking to Zoe? Why is he just eating his feelings through honey bunches of oats? Um, and then just everything with uh, Jane and Alba and Catalina. And yeah, I, I was just like, maybe because I basically woke up and turned this episode on at 8.30 this morning. So this was like the first thing I watched. <laughs> So I was just like mm-hmm. still sleepy and I was just like, ah, type of stuff. Mainly for the Rogelio talking through his feelings through his show and confusing what his character should do and what he should do and figuring all that stuff out and coming to acceptance. Uh, I just kind of made me sniffle cry a lot. And then Bruce. Bruce. I love that they returned to Bruce. Did you remember Bruce from season not one? Not at all. I was really glad that they gave me a quick recap. Because <laughs> I did not remember Bruce at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember like the, the getting a blow-by-blow blow in season one, but I certainly remember the name mm-hmm. and being like, you didn't call Bruce, did you? Like, that kind of mm-hmm. a thing. So, uh, I was, yeah. I, I, I'm not happy he's back, but if he is going to be back, I'm glad that it is, specifically is Bruce. Yeah. So, but no, Catalina, up to no good. More than likely, almost certainly, uh, probably. I mean, do we assume that, like, she's some sort of agent for Sinrostro somehow or another? Or that mm-hmm. she's killed the actual Catalina and <laughs> is taking her place within the family? Is is basically, I'm asking if Jane is getting catfished. <laughs> well, I, that's possible. But also, just like, this is... We have a world made of lots of different people and different types of people who have different priorities in their lives and different interests. Um, but in a TV show, and also most of the time that when when I've interacted with, with people, when you when someone feels the need to tell you their entire resume and they've done all these amazing things for about a week. That usually doesn't seem like it's going to be like uh, that. Doesn't usually in, in, in stories that doesn't lead to a happy, healthy, well-adjusted character added to the mix. Like almost never. And like, and some people are just rolling stones, and that's how they. That's their way that they approach life, and that's how they go through this world, and that's um, that's who they are, and that's completely it doesn't mean that they're sinister, but. On Jane the Virgin, um, something's up. Yeah, I'm gonna. I just am not gonna trust that. Also, uh, just like <laughs> Jane, just personally for me, I would like Jane's life is so much better and more interesting and more fulfilling in every possible way than this stuff that Catalina is spouting off because that kind of a thing sounds way better when you are telling it to someone and you can, you know, like, sandpaper down the, you know, like, oh, I went and toured with this thing for a week and a half and then I decided to become this. And then it's like, okay. I don't believe it was as glamorous (laughs) and amazing and beautiful as, as you say it was for even... An instant. So maybe I'm bringing uh, baggage from some people I've known in my life to this. I'm curious if you have a similar take on this. Um, but I'm just like, Jane, dude, I'm so with Michael. I'm so 1 million percent with Michael on this. No, I'm very much with Michael on it. But I understand that kind of an impulse. It, just that, that, that 
Jane's life has been very directed, either mm-hmm. through her own ambitions or whatever, but she doesn't, like, she tries not to break rules. She's she, a planner. She's a planner, exactly. So, I mean, even if she decided to go try to do this, she would just plan the hell out of it, which takes the spontaneity out of it. She'd be miserable, yeah. Right. And so I understand her becoming kind of jealous of that kind of a lifestyle in that this is something totally opposite of what she has ever thought to make her life, really. Mm-hmm. And so that draw, I think, makes sense. And that jealousy, I think, makes sense. And I, I liked that. I liked how they explored it. I like how they used this particular issue to sort of strengthen Jane and Michael through Michael doing karaoke at the assistant meet meetup and just being doing a good job too doing a good job i mean it was a lot of fun i really enjoyed that sequence and i really enjoyed that jane was just like he's my weirdo and Mm -hmm. i was just like "Mm, yay (laughs) uh since hashtag team michael and so i was i was was very happy how they mobilized that to tell that to tell that story to explore this part of jane and it was it was it was good for the show to do that, I think, and good for Jane to talk about this idea of a different kind of life, especially when like they're in upheaval about having to like figure out their house situation and all that sort of stuff. That I think that this idea of some sort of glamorous globe trotting type of lifestyle can really appeal in those kinds of instances, even if it doesn't appeal to me because travel is very stressful. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense for Jane, absolutely. I would like to also see her explore a little bit of, like, jealousy. Yeah, but also jealous of, uh, like, or upset because of Catalina and, and Raph hitting it off. Because, like, dude, I just found out I had any other family members, and you're already hitting on my baby daddy. Like, and and you're already, like, I just met my cousin. I would like to spend some time with her and not get third-wheeled out of my second day ever knowing I had other relatives. Um, So I was surprised when that didn't come up at least a little bit, but I did like that they um, seem to with this really get Jane completely fine with Raph dating. And if he's, she's cool with him dating her cousin, then she's going to be fine with him dating anyone and really moving to like this new part of, of his life. So that's encouraging. I think. I think so, too, and I, I was already kind of banging the Rats Moved On drum uh, mm-hmm. earlier this season, so I'm glad to see it coming through here as well. Yeah. Um, let me think. Uh, any other... We talked about Bruce. We talked about uh, Catalina. Vest is uh, scheming with Wrath. R- yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, Vest. Ah. Uh, I, I, I'm glad that Vest's now knows that about the the you know petra being uh paralyzed and everything um so that he and and agnes can, uh, uh, can just go be like weird together you know yes. and hope and making other people's lives miserable like it's the thing like you know they're that they're, they're both terrible they're just not very good at it you know so yes. like I want them to go off and be happy together, except that, that is going to mean inflicting suffering on other people. So it's it's tricky. Um, uh, yeah, it's 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 hard to keep track of all of that, but it, I thought it worked in the episode. It did, and I'm always kind of interested in how the show tries to put 
Wrath in these sort of scheming positions, but they're always done in let me catch you up on what really happened sort of situations. We never see him actually plotting with anyone. Yeah. And I I keep trying to wonder if the show just isn't comfortable showing us him doing these things in more direct ways cuz like he's done it with Michael and the Michael a little bit, but we've always done but wait type of thing. And so I'm we never see him really doing things like this in a mm-hmm. way that we see Petra or Aneska doing these sorts of things. And I'm always curious as to what that, I'm curious as to what that decision for the show is, why they don't, why they don't really just show us talking. Because they want him to be a good guy and they don't want him to be a manipulator. And so when he, is a manipulator they want it to be like a reveal of aha he's been in, he's it's, he's not just been betrayed he's been in it all along um the only time we see him scheming is when he's scheming with jane for something yeah. um and uh, they, they really like to hint at a shady past of poor choices for him and less legal choices but they don't want to commit to what that means for who he is now and what that says about uh, about jane and what that could mean for mateo so um they're trying to have their cake and eat it too is what i think yeah i i would agree with that yeah so we'll see what happens with that but um that was jane the virgin chapter 50 now let's uh uh unless you have any of the final thoughts shall we talk some crazy ex-girlfriend why is josh's ex-girlfriend eating carbs Oh, all the carbs. All the carbs. Uh, Muffins are great was... for that. <laughs> so how happy were you that Valencia was back? I was very happy that Valencia was back. Um, I liked what they did with her here. And um, I, like, even just musically, I will miss having a more gender-balanced yeah. dynamic on the show. Um, just, like, having a wider range of vocal, uh, um, like, just notes that people can hit uh that will limit things for them but if there were any guys that showed up that she that did that uh rebecca was spending any time with she would immediately start like falling in love with them and and deciding that they're going to solve all her problems like they can't do that right now um so uh i like that they are keeping josh around yeah i thought the i really like thought bubbles uh, I thought it was a really mm-hmm. nice song and a really nice illustration of something uh, that we're seeing pop up in a lot more shows. This idea of you know needing to be you know of mindfulness. They did, we're doing, talking about that on You're the Worst, obviously. Steven Universe with uh, Here Comes the Thought, um, but um, but yeah. We, so I'm glad that Valencia is here. I like what they give her. I like this idea of taking like the very one dimensional character uh two-dimensional character even maybe maybe she by the end of the season she got two dimensions um in season one and actually turning her into a person i think that's a really lovely feminist thing to do um uh, speaking of i loved all the name dropping of roxanne gay throughout this episode (laughs) it was awesome um and you know i think this is also just gonna tie in with this distancing that we're seeing with paula and rebecca and that being Basically, basically their spat um, at the end of season one um, and then coming back together at the wedding being the season-long arc for Rebecca this year. It's that looks more and more like that's what they're going to be doing throughout season two. So season two is going to end with just the, the, the two of them like sort of reuniting and, and recommitting to their friendship. Um, 
but we're going to have some time without that, which is tears. Um, I'm not looking forward to the next episode, which has uh, um, Rebecca trying to integrate Valencia and Heather with Paula. That's not, it's not going to work. Um, I'm sure it'll be funny in the way along the way, but it's just like, Oh God, even Rebecca, even you should know that that's a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm at with it. Valencia has a lot of potential if they do make her an actual person. Um, and not just these, like an unhappy person who's just constantly controlling and belittling and demeaning Josh because she's not happy. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's potential here. I've been rambling long enough. What do you think about Valencia? Uh, I, I was very happy that Valencia was back. And I'm, your point about like not running into another guy, I think is really important. But I think that the other thing is, is as this episode, I'm pretty sure it's this episode, maybe next week's episode, um, makes clear is that Rebecca's looking for someone to talk to about Josh. Yeah. And Valencia represents that because they can talk about Josh all they want because Josh is hurt them. Mm-hmm. And I'm using kind of semi air quotes in the sense that neither relationship was particularly good on either side, I think. And bad communication from everyone and how people were using one another was just kind of complicated and everyone came out not looking great. So, but I like the fact that they managed to bond getting um, high on psychedelic tea at a weird burning, very small burning man Mm -hmm. event. And so I enjoyed them like, we're gonna we're gonna pee on his equipment, <laughs> and it was it was really good bonding stuff. I'm but I'm I'm really glad that there's more that they're finding ways to navigate this fractured friendship of Paula and uh, Rebecca, and find ways to show that maybe this isn't the best type of friendship that Rebecca needs right now. That she needs Paula. And to your point about them reconciling and their relationship being mended, I think is really important that this is part of that journey and that she's making decent friend choices, at least in so far as Heather is concerned, I think, since Heather is more likely to say, this is bad, but also Heather's not proactive enough to do anything about it <laughs> because she's Heather. So I'm 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 excited about the potential of how all this plays out and your point about Rebecca trying to integrate Paula into this uh, group of friends and how that works and how that won't work. And so to see how all of that plays out, I'm really excited. Um, How did you feel about all the stuff with uh, Daryl and White Josh in this episode and finding out that Daryl probably almost certainly has a type? Yeah. Well, yeah, White Josh (laughs) has a type and Daryl is it. I think that that was a very deliberate choice to quiet people who are saying that white josh would never be interested in daryl because he's much older than him and nowhere near as as like he's he's nowhere near as physically fit and he doesn't like go to the gym like he he, we know that he does go to the gym because he knows josh from the gym but but in the same way he doesn't like that isn't focus as much of his life around fitness and and like you know the stuff that you have to do to have a body white josh's body like white josh yeah (laughs) um so i think that makes sense um i i but what i really appreciated about it was the 
the level of um, insecurity that they gave White Josh about Daryl. I thought that, and, and having him counter Daryl's insecurity with, dude, you haven't, like, you still haven't even introduced to your daughter. I'm just, like, figure out that he's worried that he's just, like, figure out that Daryl's bi guy, and then he's just going to dump him for some something more substantive, like, after a while. You know, like, that, I thought that was a really strong way to go and i liked that they again had rebecca point out he's constantly here he's like he doesn't work here he's hanging to hang out with you why else do you think he's constantly at the office um and and i think that that then speaks to um rebecca um yes she's not a great friend a lot of the times but she is she does she is trying like Paul is complain, uh, you know, says like it would have been nice to talk to my best friend about the abortion that she had just gotten. It's like Rebecca came and asked, "What's up? Talk to me," and she didn't. So that's that's not just on Rebecca for for not being there enough. It's also on Paula. So I like that they do give Rebecca that moment of sticking up for White Josh to Daryl, and, and like that. I like that there's more nuance in in her as a friend. Than maybe we've seen in the past. Um, but mostly White Josh and Daryl are wonderful and just like they're the OTP, clearly. <laughs> they are very much the OTP. I, I really, really liked what happened with Daryl and White Josh for all the reasons you just mapped out. Particularly, even though I did kind of like timeline wise, I wasn't, I'm still not super clear on how long White Josh and Daryl have been dating. Mm-hmm. Not very. Um, so, not very long, which is why, like, not meeting Daryl's daughter yet is, I think, okay. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, meeting someone's kid in a relationship is a big deal, I think. And, like, it's a very big deal, especially for how young I think Daryl's daughter is, if I'm remembering correctly from season one. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing that you need to be able to really, at least from, like, having friends who have kids and basically saying i don't introduce my kids to these people for like months for this reason if 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 i'm not sure Mm -hmm. type of thing so i mean there's this weird kind of it's an insecurity but i also feel like it's it's a justified part on daryl's behalf in that type of thing but i mean it does speak to but even delaying does speak to like it's sort of a well i'm not quite sure if i'm ready to really do this because i think it's a big step and but I'm excited about what that set means for both of them. Um, I guess my only other question, since we had mentioned this um, a couple of weeks ago, um, is how did you feel about Triceratops Ballet? Oh my god, it was so fun! I yes, oh yeah, it was super duper fun. This is the dream ballet that we had, and of course, you know, having uh, <laughs> being very familiar with the dream ballet sequence from Oklahoma, as well as the dream ballet sequences from many other shows. Uh, yeah. Having played in the pit for Dream Belly sequences many a time in the past, um, I really enjoyed the scoring of the the various th- threads that just came up between. Um, obviously, they had the season two theme in there. They had "I'm a Good Person" in there. They had a bunch of different stuff, um, and I appreciate how it was used. I do like. I have a hard time not being a little disappointed because of the restrictions that the show has on budget. Like, cause this is a show with so much that it's doing and 
with so many great ideas and with a creative team, a musical creative team that is very talented. Like it's definitely the best musical TV show of all time. As far as the music itself, like it's not always like the best music you've ever heard in your entire life, but the hit to miss ratio is insane guys. It's insane. Um, and I do, you know, it's like, what would the dream ballet be if they actually had an orchestra? You know, mm-hmm. if they could have extras, <laughs> if they could have a set, if they had money, what would it be? And so it that is a little, you know, like I thought they did a good job given the constraints that they're under. Um, but it does, you know, it does make me wish this show was the hit that, you know, popularly that we think it should be or deserves to be. Um, and it, if they had a budget, what could they do? Like, what would they do with smash money, you know? <laughs> Um, I, I can't even imagine what they would do with Smash Money. My brain boggles at the idea of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend having Smash Money. I, I, I think that they would just... I, I worry that they would spend it all on one number, <laughs> joking on the premiere of, we spent our entire production budget on this, Daryl's Play by Broom Now. I will never stop thinking about that joke, because mm-hmm. it's so good. Uh, I've, but I agree with you, A, in the fact that everything is better with an orchestra. Um, as someone who routinely goes, man, Batman the Animated Series is great because they had a full orchestra because of all that Tiny Toons money. And then you watch, like, Justice League and there's no orchestra and you're just like, oh, this isn't the same at all. It lacks so much soul (laughs) and character and it's really actually kind of very grating for me for some of the, for some of the songs, um, for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend specifically, where I'm just like, you're doing your best. You're doing your best with no budget. Don't give them a hard time, Kate. They're trying. They would love to have right. real musicians <laughs> and not computer programs. <laughs> so, but I still enjoy, like, Triceratops Ballet, particularly um, Rebecca's version of the Triceratops Ballet, um, in which she's in a Triceratops costume, which I'm convinced is where most of the budget for this number went, because mm-hmm. it's, it's a great Triceratops costume. But for me, as someone who just doesn't particularly like the modern dance segments in these musicals, since I find them just painfully anachronistic based on the setting of the musicals in which they often take place, um, not always, but some of the time. Mm-hmm. And so watching Rebecca just punch Josh in a Triceratops <laughs> outfit made me very happy. And I really enjoyed the juxtaposition of Gabriella Ru- Ruiz dancing in ballet with Vincent Rodriguez and then Rachel Bloom in a costume and then just not even trying to really dance just not doing not even trying and just going like I'm just gonna punch him a bunch while he kind of dances around me and I'm just like this is really good I really like this juxtaposition in terms of what it means for character but also just as a joke, I really appreciated it. Mm-hmm. So I was I was very happy with why um, finding out why Josh's ex girlfriend was eating carbs this week on Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Yeah, the one thing I will say though is that in going back and rewatching some of the different scenes from the first season and listening to a bunch of the music, I put the uh, I have the songs on my computer and I finally put them on my phone so I could listen to them in the car. So I've been I've been. It's been on heavy rotation this past week. Um, I really think that this season has has uh, done poorly by Josh, um, or by Rebecca, I guess, really is what it is, because it's made everything th- about their relationship in the season, about Rebecca 
messing things up and being crazy. And there's been no sense of why Josh likes her. Mm -hmm. And he pursued her by the end of last season. He really craved that emotional support that she gave him the, the belief and the faith that she has in him and the connection that they do have, they did have in season one. And that has all gone away. Um, that really was washed away, um, in season two, just be, you know, this idea that, Oh no, but she's crazy, you know, or she's just keeps messing things up, but there's, you know, and ignoring all of the positives that she brought to the relationship and um so that hopefully um i mean i actually i shouldn't say hopefully anything i don't think that they're they're gonna come back to that i don't think they're gonna i think we're supposed to pretend that those stuff those scenes didn't happen um so that we can get to the point where we are here i don't anticipate you know the show kind of being on rebecca's side with this stuff at all we get a little bit of like her being mad with him but we don't I don't. I felt like it kind of came out of the blue here. I didn't feel like they necessarily earned that in the same way, of like you know she was with with Greg and then Josh came and chased her down at the wedding and like yes she was you know has been like obsessed with him and obviously that's what she wanted for a long time but he did not like I don't know I just I, I have complicated thoughts about how the show is handled that dynamic like how fair or not the show has been with josh's part of their relationship right and i think i think that's a good point and especially when we have something like thought bubbles and then when we have the reprise uh sung by anna uh britney snow who will be back in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. um that the thought bubbles doesn't really engage in what rebecca brought yeah and why so no i think that's important because we haven't really had much on the west covina reprise basically of how they respond to one another and why he in particular response to her hasn't really been there Mm -hmm. this season and i think that's a really good point um and i'll be curious to see if that kind of comes out as anna comes to the forefront uh whether or not anna fulfills that gap in some way or if anna uh fulfill some other particular need that Josh isn't aware that he has. Yeah. Well, even just him being with someone who isn't trying to control him. Yes. Would probably <laughs> would be a really great step, you know, mm-hmm. like he needed to get out of that relationship with Valencia and Valencia needed to get out of the relationship with him too. Um, but yeah, very different kind of controlling <laughs> from, from Rebecca just because of her, all of her needs as far like just channeling everything wrong in her life to needing the love of in this case Josh but um yeah maybe maybe he'll just have a nice boringly stable you know happy supportive relationship with Anna that would be wonderful wouldn't it that would be wonderful but too bad it's a crazy ex girlfriend and that's probably not but what's it's gonna crazy happen. Ex-girlfriend, so <laughs> not what's gonna happen uh what wins your week in comedy um. That's a great question. I think I'll give it to Jane the Virgin this week. I had a great deal of fun, and I also enjoyed the product integration, which we didn't discuss, mm-hmm. but I, I thought it was amusing, and I also appreciated the fact that I had to sit through like three actual commercials for Honey Bunch of uh, Honey Bunches of Oats, in addition to having to sit through it on the show. I was like, are you an uh, HBO I, man? I, I I do not like Honey Bunches of Oats at all. Actually, okay, I'm not not a big fan of the HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, but something to ask Nick, um, I already primed Nick, who has a serial podcast, 
that he'll enjoy this episode and he'll have to talk about it later because i know nick has strong feelings about honey honey bunches of oats ah, um gee. what about you what what won your week in comedy this week oh craziest girlfriend give the yeah. craziest girlfriend had a lot of fun with that and like just watching paul get her skulk on you know and mm-hmm. uh, because it's for her not for rebecca i thought that was a lot of fun and it's nice to see her um Cutting herself off from Rebecca's, you know, usually destructive shenanigans, not robbing her of the ability and the opportunity to get into shenanigans herself. Because clearly that does fuel a creative and, um, you know, uh, adventurous part of, of who she is, too. So I, was, I really did enjoy this episode quite a bit. Now we'll take a break, listen to a natural process from Adventure Time. It's back! It's back, everyone. And then we'll come back with our week in genre and drama. Evolution's a natural process, but it's not exactly the fastest. You can reach your potential with just a little help. Get some light surgery, shake off the anesthesia, and you'll see that science has made you more special with just a little help. Step into my menagerie, one look at my lab, and you'll see the opposite of extinction, nature leveled up. This week in genre and drama, we're going to kick things off with Adventure Time, Preboot and Reboot. Of course, the song that led into the segment, Unnatural Process, is from uh, the Preboot episode. Um, so glad to have Adventure Time back. Then we'll move on to Supergirl, The Darkest Place, The Flash, Killer Frost, and we'll round things out with Elementary, Bang Bang, Shoot, Shoot. Um, gotta love a pun. So first up is Adventure Time, and I saw Preboot, uh, most of Preboot, just not the very end of it, at uh, Comic-Con this year, and was, uh, like, I really enjoyed it. That was delightful, and I uh, was very excited for, for everybody else to see it. And now they have. I didn't realize it was the, like, part one of, like, an intense two-parter, though. Uh, what did you think of this season seven finale of Adventure Time? WTF, Kate. WTF. Um... <laughs> I enjoyed your text <laughs> that you sent when you finished watching I, I don't, that I don't, I don't even think I had sent that when I finished it. I think I sent it to you, like, almost as it was about to finish before the mm-hmm. grass sword swallowed the fin sword and became its own entity onto itself. And I just went, what is happening? Um, no, <laughs> I really enjoyed both of these episodes. I, I First of all, I'm really glad Tiffany's still alive because I love Tiffany. Um, Tiffany's great. And so Tiffany being back was really great. Um, I love Dr. Gross, both in her bio suit and then in mm-hmm. her creepy cybernetic out cybernetic self um voiced by oh what's her name from playing house um yeah it was london Parton doing that uh which was great because i recognized it like during the singing and then i just went who is that but uh yeah i just i have so many questions kate i have questions Mm -hmm. about all these humans that supposedly still exist i have questions about this island stuff i have questions about susan just like jake does Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I have questions about where that little thing, that computer, that uh, the implant activated ended up going to. And just, I have so many questions. And I need the season eight premiere right now. I need it in my eyeballs right now. 
Oh. Well, if that'll even address it, who knows? Oh, don't, don't, do not say that. Do not say that. Do not, do not say that and go, oh, season eight's going to focus on, focus on uh, Colonel Candycorn. Mm. And I will be sad. And I, I also can't remember if Cor- Colonel Candycorn is dead or not. I think he is. Did he die in the assault with the tree guy? I, I, I you know, I'll need, I would need to look it up, but I, certainly we can pour enough of Rattleballs because <laughs> oh. that. Oh, that was awesome and then very sad <laughs> I mean Rattleballs doesn't have a chance against Susan no one has a chance against Susan no one has a chance against Susan But um, so how did you feel about this and oh my god how did you sit on this for like four months <laughs> um, well the uh, the stuff that we get with like the, the, the menagerie um, was appropriately creepy and disturbing i think you did a good job chipmunk scorpion use your words (laughs) (laughs) um now they they cut they cut the episode before we found out about like the cybernetics and the um before dr gross came out of her suit and and we had all or like the chip and susan before any of that but um but no it was just again this is very it's just so very adventure time of the creativity and and the um, the humanity combining into these really bizarre like now the grass sword has the fin sword and Finn is still in the fin sword even though we thought that fin sword was fin sword Finn was dead but he's not and but then there was like Cthulhu ish whatever thing like there's all like there's you can get so caught up in all of that stuff and that's the way some people watch the show and that is totally cool I get it it's super fun and I I I'm, I I have no qualms with watching the show in that way or you can also just look at it as morality play of what do you do if you're Finn when this happens um and I just, you know, whether you're connect- enjoying this episode on a, you know, like crazy weird sci-fi like level or a colorful animated show level or a Finn and Jake's emotional journeys level or uh, a mythology level. Like, there's so many things to, to really get a kick out of here. And um, I like that this stuff like this expands the universe Let's them, you know, like, obviously they have something that they're building towards so that this is connected to because they've been doing the show long enough and they have an end date now. So they like this. I I have plenty of confidence that this is not going to go nowhere so they can expand the world out and, and like take it into these new crazy directions. And I'm still confident they can come back next week and have a regular old standalone if they want. And, like, they could just have, like, oh, baking, baking pancakes times two. Like, like they could easily do that as well. And, and, and have the show continue to be this blend of so many different things. Um, but, yeah, I, I just uh, – the creativity. The creativity of Adventure Time is just delightful. And um, I look forward to what this next chapter might bring. Well, I think your point about the show's creativity is really on display in both of these episodes really, really sharply. Um, in terms of the division of what the show does can do really well. Like Preboot, uh, which was written storyboarded by Alex Senwald and Adam Mudo, um, is a real like powerhouse of creativity and color and also some body horror. But, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a really fun-looking, bright, 
crazy looking episode which is what adventure time does really well but then you get something like reboot which is storyboarded and written by tom um Herpich and steve wolfhard is just wall-to-wall action sequences that are really well done yeah and we get like the jake suit back for the first time in a long time which made me very happy and just it was a really great sequence of action but neither of these thing neither of neither of these boot episodes in between going full whole hog on their respective tones lost the kind of human element that you were talking about with what this means for certain characters so like susan's kind of lost in a haze inside the <clears throat> narwhal ship thing or whatever they're in that belongs to dr gross mm-hmm. and her trying to figure that out and finn finding out like there are lots more humans potentially and his freak out about that and then we get reboot and the whole th- and just continuing to build on finn struggling with the grass sword but then the grass sword just deciding i'm good man i got this yeah <laughs> And I, this mainly like when I'm I'm excited about the mythology stuff, but the other reason is is that I don't want like a random standalone episode from like the season eight premiere. Is that I need some sort of like emotional follow up to the fact that Finn doesn't have an arm again, yeah, and what this means again for him that this grass sword is has kind of become like a rival basically in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and how that works for him and what that means for him so i really want to see that kind of fallout even more so than all the other insane amount of questions i have about mm-hmm. what all this means yeah. is that i need to see that kind of an emotional reaction to the grass sword potentially being able to vocalize um provide based on whatever it did with the fin sword um so i'm i need like i said i need that season eight premiere in my eyeballs right now well theoretically december 2016 is what we're looking at at least that's what wikipedia says and wikipedia is never wrong right that's how it works um but uh certainly you know like adventure has been off the air for quite a while now um, we've had, had quite a hiatus, and obviously we love Steven Universe here at the Televerse. For me, Steven Universe is closer to my heart than, than right. Adventure Time. But just like there's nothing like Steven Universe, there's no other show like Adventure Time, and it's just lovely to have it back and just get a, get a reminder, you know, like we'll see what else happens this year, but certainly there's some stuff from, from this that is contention for like weird or trippy um, things at the end of the year for those categories and just remind you like yeah okay y'all love steam universe but like we do what we do really well too so you you also are here for adventure time and you know <laughs> don't get too confident about you know where where like what the future of cartoon network is and what the, the you know like and what the the best is the, that it has to offer. Don't forget that we're still here and we're on season eight. They're going into season eight and they're, you know, they've been terrific for their entire run. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to have it back. 
It is, and even though um, you're the one that goes to like all the Comic Cons, I expect you to have pictures of. Gosh, I hope there are Doctor Gross cosplayers. Yeah, both in terms of the bio suit because I want to see a really good bio suit, mm-hmm. but I also just want to see Doctor Gross in like all her cybernetic glory. Not even like with her telescopic spider legs and scissor fingers because that was <laughs> horrifying. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> but uh, just the bio suit, just a regular tank top shorts and like. Getting, all, I think, getting all that plating kind of mm-hmm. right from like a makeup perspective, I think would look really, really cool. Um, so I'd be eager to see that. So if someone's already done it and you've just spent like the past week, uh, send me your pictures, please, because I want to see them <laughs> at the Televerse, yeah, uh, and and at Noel RK. We want, we would like to see your cosplay, please. Another show I always want to see cosplay for is Supergirl, and this, this week's episode is the Darkest Place, which. Had stuff with Cadmus and Monel, um, sure. But I think the big stuff here is is Jean, is the return of Hank, and um, and emotionally is the the show uh, getting Alex and Maggie to a point where they can hang out so that we can do us result <laughs> sexual tension. Um, uh, so let's let's start with let's start with Alex and Maggie. Um, how'd you feel about this? Did you like the way that they went or were you more frustrated that they're not letting Alex be pissed off for a while? I don't need Alex pissed, pissed off for a while. What I needed was, um, a stronger sense of space between the two of them before this happened. Um, yeah, a lot of this is falling victim to like the one thing that I'm kind of grappling with the Supergirl this season, at least in regards to some of the side characters is that, we just decided, okay, um, at some point when quit Catco and went to the DO full time off screen, no problem, guys, nothing to see here. And then we're going to go to in like two and a half episodes. James is a kick ass vigilante, um, fighting off a guy with a machine gun arm, not a literal. Yeah, machine. when he's had like no physical expertise to our knowledge aside from being played by McCod Brooks. Well, he has a black belt in something. Did we but... know that beforehand? Did yeah. we know that before no, the season? No, I, th- I think they just mentioned that this season. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but I mean, he's already like pretty decent at this stuff when I'm thinking back to the fact that Oliver sucked at this and he had like ostensibly five years of training in Hong Kong and then Russia and then on the yep. and on Arrow. And now he's, like, swinging around on grappling hooks. And I'm just like, this is happening a little fast, guys. Not mm-hmm. just from an action standpoint, even though it looks really good. Like, the mm-hmm. action, the hand-to-hand action looks really good on this show. But I'm just, from a character stuff, I'm just like, this is happening a little quickly. And then this is also between Alex and Maggie, to get back to your original question, is happening a little quickly in that I feel like a lot of this stuff on the side is getting rushed to try to basically i think create the show that the show needs to be on the cw Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways as opposed to the show that it needed to be on the cbs um even though i think that the version of the show that is on the cw is a the show that they want probably wanted to do from the start but b it's also the better version of the show than Mm -hmm. what they were doing on cbs but this rush to get it all out there, I think, is... It's not damaging the show. It's not damaging my enjoyment of the show. But it, I keep raising eyebrows at how quickly things are happening. Mm-hmm. And 
I can kind of let a pass at the win and kind of allow a pass at the James stuff. But when it's more character based like this, with which is what the Maggie and Alex stuff is, is I have a harder time giving that a pass because I like having characters given time to breathe and sort through things and think about what their next step is as opposed to Maggie showing up at Kara's apartment somehow and being like, hey girl, I've thought about it. And it's just like, is my response to that is that I need them to have had more space. I don't necessarily need Alex pissed off. I just need them, I just need Alex to maybe go on like, just either think about it or like throw herself whole hog and do like some sort of speed dating thing. Mm-hmm. Be- even though I don't think speed dating is a thing that happens anymore. Uh, Cause that that's very much an early aughts thing. But also, I mean, I remember when we were talking about Supergirl last season about how nineties it was in a lot of instances. Why not? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm not sure, but at the same time, the show's been on a fairly decent run so far overall that I can be like, okay, maybe now we can get some sort of character breathing space bouncing off of Maggie. I don't necessarily think from a character development standpoint or character relationship standpoint that that makes the most sense to me, but I really like what they're doing with Alex. I really like what um, Lee is doing with her performance with Alex. So we'll see how it goes. Um, how are you feeling about it? You were like nodding along while I was talking about how rushed some of this stuff is and agreeing with me. Do you feel like they needed? Do you since you asked, does Alex need more time to be pissed off? Do you need Alex to be pissed off, basically? Um, and yeah, how how are you feeling about this? I need her to be pissed off for more than a week. And okay. I need more than that, though. I think you're right. It's less about her being pissed off and more about Maggie needs to know that she has to give her space. And the fact that she doesn't is a re- reflects really, really poorly on her. You don't get to, like, you don't get to reject this person who just, like, just is starting to realize the stuff about her sexuality and who she is and all this. She's dealing with some really heavy stuff that 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 Maggie helped her realize and 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 you know and it's that's not Maggie's fault but it's like but you just rejected this person who was in a really difficult imaginal like emotional fragile place and then you're saying but can't we just be friends it's like you don't get to you don't get to do that and like you you can start with having a trying to have like smooth things over so you can have a positive working relationship and then go from there. But you don't get to make demands on her of wanting to be her friend when you know damn well that she wanted much more and she thought, and the signals you were sending were mixed at best, you know, like that. It just, they, cause they, they want us to have, you know, be shipping them and as eventual, like, an eventual relationship maybe or certainly like it, it would be great if they just had you know two two queer women on the show that didn't need to you know end up hooked up that would be great but um that just felt like you know even though i was seeing lots of tweets around um being like yeah no maggie's totally right though it's a bad idea which 
I agree, actually. I think Maggie's absolutely right. It's a bad idea for them to be involved. But then you don't get to then say, okay, but then can't we hang out? I don't like that we can't hang out anymore. It's like, that's that's not fair at all to Alex. And I'm very protective of Alex. Alex is lovely. I want I want Alex to not be sad. Kelly can't hurt us like she did last week with her with the, with the crying and the the you know the feels. Um, so that's where I'm at with that part of it. Yeah, no, I I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of especially this idea of Maggie's approach to everything is I think more about the writers not having a clear sense necessarily of how they wanted this to play out. Um, and not giving it enough time to play out, basically, I think is or wanting still where I'm... her to be in the show and not yes. having other ways to integrate her. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm grappling with it, but at the same time, like I'm, I'm, I trust to a certain degree, the writers to at least make something compelling out of this kind of misstep almost, at least a misstep in our eyes. Yeah. Or slight, you know, adjustment of it. You know, that kind of thing. Um, How about Jean and McGann? A lot of this is stuff... I'm I'm interested in this idea of uh, Jean becoming a white Martian and how they're going to play with that. Um, And I'm kind of waiting to see what they're going to... How how it's going to play out before I want to, like, weigh in on how... They represent this very weird sort of situation in which you have a guy turning into his oppressors, Mm -hmm. physically turning into his oppressors, and what that means, and how that plays out. Um, But I want to see more before I, like, really wait. I'm sorry to cop out. No, that's that's, that's Um, fair. But a lot of it also just has to do with, like, the Green Martian, White Martian thing has never been, like, the most compelling thing for me about Jean Jones. So this becoming kind of its own, really its own separate show almost within the show, because no one else is like actively involved in this. I need someone else either involved to help him think through it and work through it, as opposed to him just yelling at Magan all the time. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. Just that I need more time to think about it and to mull it over. How are you feeling about it? I think that's a good point, and um, it feels, yeah. again, it feels kind of rushed. I'm glad that they didn't waste a bunch of time, though, to have, like, oh, is something wrong? What's going, what could it be? And they're like, no, no, straight up, you're turning into White Martian. And I, I don't think they'll actually do that. I think they'll come up with some way to, like, you know, keep him a Green Martian. It's, it's, it's such a huge part of who Jean Jones is, um, the entire, you know, extended universe and everything. Um, but we'll see. Um, Amelia, your thoughts on this episode is I don't care about Cadmus at all. Um, but I thought it made a lot of sense to bring Jeremiah back here at this point. I thought that worked, the, the reveal worked well. And, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I don't really care that Hank Henshaw exists again. I think that was just there for them to do a fake out. Why not? You know, to make Jean's life more complicated. But, um, but I thought the, the, the reveal with Jeremiah was fun. Right, and I think that my big response to the Jeremiah reveal is, thank God Dean Cain didn't have that beard. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because, God, it was such an awful beard. Um, I know that that's not the thing to focus on, mm-hmm. but it was a really bad beard, Kate. It really offended me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, so I'm glad that we at least have confirmation that Jeremiah was alive, because that Jeremiah plot kind of went away. Mm-hmm. 
when they transition networks and when they also had to stop um non from enslaving the human race <laughs> at the end of last season uh so we'll we'll see how that goes it's never i've never been super concerned about jeremiah yeah. in part because no one else seems super concerned about jeremiah <laughs> uh, but we'll see how it goes um I, I like Cadmus is like this terrorist organ this terrorist organization with an agenda and everything, and how that fits into it. And oh God, I I am always here for Brenda Strong just being amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see we'll see how that goes. Um, I guess my only other thing is that I have to ask you about is how do you feel about uh, Monel asking if Car is mated with anyone? Um, I'm not surprised. Um, and at least they're going slightly more subtle than I expected which i appreciate with with monol mm-hmm. i like every like they like they're making it very much a particular type um but like a, a scene like that is much more um tentative than and introspective than we would have been led to expect from him and so i thought that that i think that that's you know a good way to do it well monol needs to step off because Kara and lena forever <laughs> clearly um well uh our next episode here that was supergirl darkest place our next episode here is uh the flash killer frost and talk about rushing stuff um i don't like it's great that they want to give danielle panabaker things to do but i don't care about this and i don't think it's interesting and i don't like the entire flash team except for iris and joe all having superpowers i think it's i think it's uh a kind of a cop-out HR doesn't have superpowers either, except for his amazing ability to repackage other people's Ugh. ideas. <sighs> yeah. Okay, we need to discuss our HR fields too, apparently. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, how, how are, are you more optimistic about, you know, where Flash is going than I am? Well, I wrote about, I wrote about, I wrote about this in kind of a different way in the sense that a lot of what happens in this episode is... A lot of how they resolve things in this episode um, from is based on the show's primary conceit of how it defined itself against Arrow um, was the power of friendship. Not to sound My Little Pony about it, but the fact that these people all have beliefs and beliefs in and faith in one another is what gives them their respective superpowers and their abilities. So even if Joe and Iris don't have superpowers their ability to motivate and comfort and give Barry perspective is super important to the success of everyone. And that's always been key to the show from the very first run Barry run to the fact that Barry just needs a pep talk over the earpiece to learn how to throw lightning really well. Um, To Barry staring down Killer Frost in this episode and saying, go ahead and kill me. I don't believe you'll do it, but if you're going to do it, just do it. And that getting her out of Killer Frost mode, basically, and allowing Caitlyn to resurface. This is all very much superpowers don't matter when we believe in one another. And a lot of this, I, a lot of the only thread that I'm pulling out of season three so far is the fact that there are increasingly boundaries to how successful that can be. And from one point, and this is to your point about how like rushed a lot of this is, is that we all knew Caitlin wasn't going to stay Killer Frost because it's episode seven. She wasn't going to start running off and killing people or they weren't going to lock her in the pipeline for the rest of, for a half season until she escaped. That wasn't going to happen. 
And so they solved it by their typical way, but all of this just points to the fact that there are boundaries to this because Killer Frost is still there. Um, Barry can't keep apologizing for his mistakes because at some point that's not okay. So Cisco and Barry can't work out their issues immediately anymore. And because of what Barry did with Flashpoint and Dante dying and all of this stuff just can't keep working anymore. And I think that that's interesting, but I'm also not sure that it's necessarily the best thing for the show is it kind of veers them into even darker territory. And this show, as last season proved, doesn't necessarily do well when it veers into darker territory. And I think my big thing is, like, if we do another episode in which Caitlin has to use her powers again, we immediately have to deal with the fact that Killer Frost could come out again and we have to do this again, basically. And it's a narrative delay, not a narrative progression. It was like, we've been building this up for this season, so we need to, like, pay this off a little bit through and give you a little bit of extra stuff with alchemy um through hey no surprise it's it's draco yeah. no surprise everyone or it previously has been draco and he's trying to re and he ran away from that and alchemy followed him which i feel like is where they're going with that right or savitar followed him or however yeah. this worked um so yeah i agree with you that it's just it was interesting in terms of watching danielle Pennebaker really really do a really nice job swinging back and forth and differentiating in like full scenes as opposed to just like our conception of here's Caitlin Snow in one scene but here's Earth 2 Killer Cross we get to see this kind of play out in her performance within like minutes of one another and I really enjoyed seeing that and that aspect of it but yeah, it was it was narrative payoff slash delay instead of progression in any way, shape, or form. And yeah, I'm, I liked the episode overall, but I just it's still like I feel like a they couldn't do anything because they've got a big crossover next week, so they couldn't do anything too big. But then they also have the mid season break coming up, so they have to save some stuff for that. But it's just. I'm not quite sure what the arc going forward is for this season so far, which is okay, but I, I I don't know what I'm supposed to be latching onto this season. And I've been rambling for a really long time now, and you've like settled yourself like back a little bit to be like, oh god, Noel's on a tear. I'm just gonna check my watch. No, here that's and that's go. a <laughs> settle myself back and go. Oh man, this is not the. A lot of this stuff is not what I'm interested in Flash for. Because what I'm interested in Flash for is the show is the 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 friendship and the 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 tone and the energy and the bright colors and the optimism and I can take a lot of these other elements if they're still holding on to that. But last season we saw that they're not good at dark flash. Uh they're not particular that's not particularly interesting. They did a couple episodes of it that were, you know, more effective, but that's about it. That's about as long as they were able to sustain that version of the show very well. And I'm not interested in them trying to do that again this season. I'm also negative interested in yet another speedster. But this is really fast, guys. And then Wally can, you know, has his speed. But guess what? And he's even faster than Barry was. It's like, oh my god, every time the pro the solution is run faster. 
and it's not interesting. It's not entertaining. It's it's a waste of all their energy. Um, I I really like vibe and like like Cisco's abilities growing as vibe. I think is very interesting. Um, and if if we end up with Caitlyn having like Killer Frost abilities, but not yeah, like the whole like the whole is she gonna be evil? It's like no, she's a regular on the show. I don't there, and that would require basically writing her off for large chunks of the season. They're not gonna do that, but are they gonna pretend that they're gonna do that so we can watch this drag out? Apparently, yes, and it's irritating um, because I don't believe they'll follow through. Maybe they will. Maybe I'll be wrong, um, but I don't believe they will. So then, when what should be a more interesting and nuanced and and uh, like loaded experience or you know like these exchanges between the characters just feels like treading water in a storyline that ultimately will not feel satisfying. So um, hopefully, again, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully they surprise me, but. Like and they and like I said, I think they've done a lot of really interesting things with Cisco and with his family in the past, or with Vibe. Like there's ways that you can use an ability that doesn't seem like it's very active and 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 give it more dimension and more interest. It then freezes stuff. That's not interesting. Well, she also shoots like ice daggers. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, so no, like no. she can fight stuff, you know, like. Cisco vibes, so he gets premonitions, he can cross parallel dimensions, he travels, like, he does this other stuff that facilitates the story. Um, from what we saw in this episode, it looks like Caitlyn's abilities are mostly, they're most interested in using them to fight stuff. Barry already fights stuff. We don't need new ways to fight stuff. Um, that doesn't help the story. Again, you say, like, it's, it's not progression. It's not narrative progression. And, um... If they can get more creative with it, sure. But, I mean, again, it's Caitlin Snow. I don't think they're going to turn her into Killer Frost full time. And so it's just, you know, it's, it's like with Iris not knowing Barry's identity as the Flash. It's like, oh, we're going to pretend she doesn't she doesn't know yet and hasn't figured it out? Yes, we are for another, you know, like, move. She almost finds out or she does find out, but then she loses her memory. It's like, <laughs> stop wasting your time and get, get like get to the fireworks factory already like get to the point where caitlin has these abilities to some extent or she constantly wears the dampeners and she isn't killer frost because that's not the thing the show's gonna actually do well i i, I had a follow-up question about all of this with caitlin but i'm actually afraid to ask it now um <laughs> But I'm going to ask it anyway, just to see if you just get riled up again, because um, this is just what I do apparently now. Um, Good times. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's My question becomes one of the fact that, by and large, for the most part, powers seem to drive people insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so why is it that Barry, Cisco, and Wally get to have powers that don't drive them insane and Jesse to a lesser extent, but everyone else goes nuts <laughs> when they get powers. And wh- I, I don't know how to reconcile the fact that seemingly everyone just kind of loses it when they get powers, except for these people. <laughs> and because I- they're the heroes and because Killer Frost is a known villain <laughs> in the, in the extended universe. That's why. So like if 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 there if Killer Frost like if Caitlyn wasn't like if Killer Frost wasn't a thing in the comics, 
then Caitlyn wouldn't have abilities, or if she did, it would would not be like, oh, she's insta-evil the way that, you know, apparently everybody else in this world, who every other meta on this show has been evil. It would be good for them to develop uh, a, a back like a background like set of characters who are metas who are not evil who also aren't active crime fighters like like they've been doing very actively on supergirl this this season of establishing a whole world of aliens who are different and who aren't who are law-abiding citizens um or like they did on angel versus most of the the early run of buffy um with demons so yeah that there's not a good reason at least so far that they haven't shown any interest in exploring one or developing one. Let's be honest, retconning one. Right. And that, I think that's the thing is like, to your point is that I agree with your point to the extent that, well, the comic book canon says this, so we're going to have to kind of follow it. Even though this is also from the same franchise that just went black canary. Yeah. Let's, let's kill her. (laughs) Let's just do that, and we're just going to do mm-hmm. it, in part because also we just didn't know what the f- to do with Laurel, but that's a different story. Yeah. Um, so they're willing to not do that sort of thing. They're willing to say, well, canon isn't something we're necessarily going to respect and pay too much attention to. That's good. That's fine. I mean, also, the, like, the fact that Savitar... Looks like a weird cross between Ultron, a Transformer, and Sauron from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> is not is not what Savitar looks like in the comic books. He's a ripped shirtless guy with long flowing black hair. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're willing to, but again, that is in part because I'm just convinced that there's someone that we know under that Savitar outfit, and mm-hmm. just, it's it's Wally. <laughs> so, but I also just. I, I agree, but I do agree that they need, like, some sort of background situation in which there are plenty of metahumans who have not gone insane because they have powers. And that they're mm-hmm. perfectly nice people that just kind of go on with their life and aren't interested in fighting crime and just want to hide their powers and not get involved in crime or fighting crime or anything like that. They're just they're just nice people. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We'll see um, if the show has any interest in exploring that. It would be nice if they would... Watch the other shows and see who's doing it well and who's struggling. Spoiler alert, Arrow's struggling. Um, but, um, yeah. I mean, it could have been worse, but certainly wasn't anywhere near as, uh, I think, powerful for me as I think they wanted it to be. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, our last episode of the week is Elementary Bang Bang Shoot Shoot. And just last week we were talking about how, hey, remember how Joan has a sister? Yes. She shows up for one scene and promptly disappears and is, oh my god. Okay, so I was very irritated with this episode for that reason. I thought the actual episode, the mystery and everything itself was fine. Um, but I just, I don't care about Shimwell at all. I would so much rather be actually exploring Joan's relationship with her half-sister. Like, why aren't we doing that? That's way more compelling than anything that they're that they're doing so far with Shimwell. And that's as someone who really enjoys that actor, of course, from his terrific work on uh, on True Blood, he was terrific on True Blood. But like, I just I I don't I don't care. <laughs> uh, I agree with you. I I I laughed as soon as I saw Joan's half sister show up, and it's yeah. telling that we keep ta- calling her the half sister because I don't remember her name. I don't remember her name. <laughs> yeah. Um. But 
I was I was also really frustrated because she shows up to deliver exposition, mm-hmm. and shows up to deliver. Hey, by the way, this thing that the audience saw two weeks ago, I think. Um, here's here here's your tidbit, so you can follow up on that, so that you're not blindsided by it, um, and so you can deal with that um, as a show. That's what I'm here to do. Um, handy narrative device, since I'm the one that also hooked them up with the apartment uh, and everything in the building, and blah 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 blah, etc. 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 She's just a plot device to further their narrative along, which is kind of frustrating, to your point. And so, but I also agree that a lot of the Shinwell stuff just isn't super interesting um i just i haven't found a reason to latch on and it's i think the big problem is is that the show very much okay so the show has done this before insofar as each time there's a seasonal arc that they want to grapple with is that we're introduced to a character that one of that Sherlock has a connection to. So it's either Moriarty, it's Mycroft, it's his dad, it's his drug dealer from the past, or we have Kitty for half a season. Mm-hmm. And these are all new people that we have no idea who they are as an audience. And then the show just goes, here they are, and we're going to establish a relationship with them between everyone. And that's how this is going to work. And they're doing the same thing with Shinwell and Joan, but it's not working in any way, shape, or form. I think in part because even though, like, I've been, like, defending this idea that Joan is trying to figure out what, how she needs to, like, fulfill her life in some sort of way, helping Shinwell isn't the way to do that, I think. (laughs) Well, you're saying that we need, uh, like, I was saying that, I should say, I was saying that, I don't care. I also have no sense of why Joan cares. Yes. Joan has not been given a reason to care. And her saying, I did surgery on him once. Like, do you know how many people she would have, you know, saved from bullet wounds in her career as a surgeon? Like, it's a lot. Right. And we have not seen, like, like I said, I really enjoyed that actor, but he doesn't have particularly strong chemistry with Lucy Liu. It's not like there's, like, you can see this, this they like they understand each other or they like she enjoys his him and like his personality or they like they like understand each other like who they are like they can see into their soul or like there's no strong connection here and um it's just if i if you're not gonna make me care make me care that joan cares and they haven't even done that i agree and while you your point about like caring speaks to like what they've done with other characters like this is that like kitty i I liked kitty almost immediately right in that a she has like a very type of defined personality in a way that shinwell kind of doesn't his personality is basically i don't really want to talk to any of you but i appreciate you kind of helping me but also please stay Mm -hmm. away from me type of thing i'm a little wounded is basically shinwell's personality yeah and um okay that the connection between him and Joan, both narratively, but also through actor, but also through scripting, is 
wishy-washy as opposed to this is my brother mm-hmm. i have a history with my brother this is my father i have a history with my father even though like um moreland had been built up considerably prior to his appearance but it's also this is kitty i trained her for six months while i was away for the summer mm-hmm. type of thing and you started your own practice remember when joan had her own practice wasn't that interesting and remember when she was seeing clients in the basement wasn't mm-hmm. that interesting too and i hate ragging on the show because i really like the show i enjoy the performances from miller and lou and the case, like you said this week, was interesting. Um, God, their title game is so on point. We've said it before. That's really on point this year. Mm-hmm. And I liked how just all everything that was happening, particularly like the double murder this week. The Well, not the double. I say double murder mm-hmm. as if two people got died, but one person got killed twice, basically. Mm-hmm. And I liked how all of that unraveled, and I thought that was really interesting. But... It just, it was kind of the inverse of like last week where I didn't super care about the case that was happening and I liked the other stuff that was happening. And this was the inverse of that. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm not feeling elementary this season in a way that, in in a way that you and I had discussed earlier in the fact that they're really not going to hit season three again. Um, But I need something to kind of, like, keep me excited about the show and keep me engaged. Yeah. Um, Because otherwise I'm probably just going to start letting this build up soon. Probably after their mid-season break I may just go, I'm just going to let you kind of build up for a little while. And um, I'll still go back to you when I have, like, a rainy day. Which happens a lot up here, so I have plenty (laughs) of that, so. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah. No, it's it's cosine. So next time that I am sick or something and just looking for... You know, there's something to put on. This could be that. You know, if they're not going to do anything, and it's clear that they're building to something with this, this episode with Jinwal. Like that, obviously, this is part of like moving characters to where they want them to be for some reveal. But I just don't. Again, I just can't. I can't say it enough times. I don't care. So, yeah. Hopefully, they can. If I mean, if you're if if the stuff with with Joan and with Jinwal is not going to be interesting. The, or, or not going to be particularly engaging. They need to do much better with the rest of the episodes so that I don't mind. Um, they can't rely on that as the emotional core of their season the way that they seems like they have so far. Um, but well, I guess we'll see what comes next. Uh, what wins your week in genre and drama? She said, not holding her breath. <laughs> uh, it's definitely Adventure Times uh, yeah. season seven finale. Uh, no contest, hands down. Period. End of story. Uh, and or arms down as I guess the more appropriate <laughs> uh, yeah. pun would be. <laughs> yep. Close. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Not even close. Um, okay. A few show notes here at the end of our weekend TV. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can also email us theteleverse at gmail.com and you can uh, reach out and leave us a rating review on iTunes. Um, if you do. Though we may not get it for like a month. Yeah. <laughs> let me know if you do. You know, reach out and let us know. But uh, we have an M4A chapter feed and MP3 on chapter feed. Um, the M4A should be back. In, you know, I, I tried to do chaptered MP3s in the M4A feed, and that did not work. The chapters did not get picked up. So I'll be. this is what I get for trying to innovate. Um, so I will be back to normal for that um, this week. Um, you can also find us in Stitcher. Leave us a rating or review there. And uh, we're in on Facebook. Start up a conversation in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. And, of course, we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. And, Noel, you are? At Noble RK, and as I shamelessly plugged earlier, you can find flash writing over at uh, tvguide.com. 
Um, now we will head over to the DVD shop with former co-host, a uh, friend of the show, feel safe to say, Simon Howell of, of TV Roundup, to talk about uh, the British satire, uh, A Touch of Cloth. So, yeah, I, managed, I appreciate how we just didn't even mention what that actually means in the UK. I was, you know, I feel like that was a good call. You can look it up, listeners, if you're so inclined. Um, but, uh, yes, wacky, silly, uh, please procedural satire uh, touch of cloth we'll be right back with simon after this inspector jack cloth who wants to know i'm dc and an old man boys down the station gave me your address why are you here old man murder on the run down estate victims of gavina duntish Never been found dead before, so this is out of character. This is the hundredth murder this year. You can't go in there. Yes, I can. I'm telling you, it's impossible. And I'm telling you, it's a modern inquiry. It's a frenzied attack without mercy or toilet breaks. No! The bodies keep washing up, Cloth. An entire building dead because of me! No! For the fifth time this year! I haven't laughed since my wife died. Why did you laugh when your wife died? You packed them to bits like a marmalade bus! I don't know what you're talking about! Neither do I! That's enough! You're coming apart at the seams, Cloth. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are uh, adding another entry to our our British comedies, uh, I guess, subcategory of the DVD shelf. It's a lot of fun. And we've also done a bunch of other Charlie Brooker in the past. This is, the show is A Touch of Cloth, but here... The, really, the, I, I'm, I'm, uh, what's that? Oh, what's that expression? I'm burying the lead because uh, the exciting part is returning to the DVD shelf. Former co-host, friend of the show, and now co-host of TV Roundtable is Simon Howell. Simon, welcome back. Howdy. Uh, I, I just felt like you guys could use something really silly. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, that's appropriate. We're, we're talking a touch of cloth today. Um. And very silly does sound about right. Um, anything to keep our minds off of current events. Yeah. For a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Canadian. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Everything's perfect in Canada. Nothing could ever go wrong there. Nothing could ever go horribly wrong here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is um, this is a comedy that, I mean, when I was talking to Noel about it, because uh, you guys had started watching it before I had caught up with it. Um, he basically was like, yeah, it's like, it's like Angie Tribeca, Tribeca, but you know, from they did it first, you know, but a little more serious. Uh, and then I couldn't, because of that, I couldn't get that out of my brain while I was watching this, just thinking about compare and contrast of the two shows and how the, the one would do it versus the other. Um, I, did you have any of that pop into your mind? Like, well, first of all, Simon, have you watched Angie Tribeca? And second of all, if so, did you have any of that like pop up in your brain while you were while you were, you know, thinking uh, Touch of Cloth? I've I've seen a bit of Angie Tribeca. However, I watched A Touch of Cloth first. Um, mm-hmm. Touch of Cloth for the uninitiated. Uh, it aired three series um, over the course of a couple of years in Britain. Uh, each series is a measly two episodes, so the entire uh, the entire run, and it is most likely over for good. Uh, it's only six episodes, so one of the other things that uh, made me think of it is that, you know, you guys watch plenty of TV. I figured you'd appreciate a brief commitment. <laughs> yes. But uh, <laughs> the, the, the main sort of uh, cultural reference point for me watching this, I mean, is 
I, I go back to the Zucker brothers, and um, yeah. I think that what really blows my mind about this show uh, is just how wall-to-wall completely unserious it is in, in all things. It's just it's, – it's one of the most densely packed with gags series I think I've ever seen. It's just it's just a constant stream of uh, oral jokes, visual jokes, uh, prop jokes, editing jokes, uh, ADR jokes, just like sometimes several different jokes happening at the same time, uh, as well as running gags that build throughout each series. Uh, and it's th- the fact that it's also a cop show and it's very specifically modeled. It's very specifically designed to, as the British like to say, take the piss out of their unending love for moody mystery series um i think that if you've seen like even like one or two of the shows that it's very obviously uh taking the piss out of you'll get an an extra bit of love out of it but you know 2016 showed us that there's been no shortage you know the the well of you know ultra serious uh anti-hero crime dramas is just it's nowhere near tapped and uh, even though that there's I feel like they could have done another three or seven series uh, capitalizing on all the tropes and all the cliches and all the, the tedious things that still happen in these shows um, that are still coming in 2016. There's like so many more things they could have done with it, but I'm happy with the six episode run as like, as a, as a nice uh, it's, it's, it feels like the right length of time to devote to this subject matter and like the, the, the depth of parody of this, like of this type of show that we've just seen way too much of. Can I just, I I mean, I just need to express how much more I would, uh, I enjoyed watching this than the series that, you know, co-creator of A Touch of Cloth, Charlie Brooker, is by far, at least in the U.S., most known for, which is Black Mirror. (laughs) This is so much more fun and so much less self-serious. Of course, I mean, it's, it's a it's a spoof. It's a satire. I mean, like, obviously. But, like, starting this se- most recent season of Black Mirror was just, like, all, like, on the scale of how watching TV can be painful. But it was almost painful because it's like, oh, mm-hmm. God, I get, I know, I understand in the first 30 seconds of this downvoting, upvoting episode what he's trying to say and now i'm gonna have 55 minutes of having it bashed into my skull uh this was delightful Uh, they managed to (laughs) you know run so like i don't know how they didn't run some of these jokes into the ground or how i still enjoyed them every time like an old man oh old man an old man uh every time i thought i'd like chuckled or smiled to myself every time that should that joke should have gotten old after the second maybe second time. But there's such a they they they, they walk the line so effectively in this that uh, of the the dour cinematography and the the you know just how straight all the actors are playing it and the balance of an actual like procedural like the pacing of an actual procedural with these other jokes thrown in that that it just I never got tired of it and. Um, that is something I cannot say about Brooker's more serious work, though I would say that it does, you know, like Nathan Barley, I, you know, it, a small dose for me goes a long way. But the, for, for example, he wrote on uh, Brass Eye and that one also I did not could not get enough of. So 
clearly for me, Charlie Brooker, uh, I much prefer him as a comedian rather than a social commentary, um, uh, you know, like focused creator. Noel, um, have you seen any other of Brooker's work? And uh, if so, how do they relate for you? Let me look real quick to see if I have seen anything. Um, Yeah, I mean, I still haven't even watched any Black Mirror yet. So, no, this was pretty much my first Brooker stuff, I think. Um, So there you go. Fun. Good introduction. Mm -hmm. Um, I really, really enjoyed this. Like, I was um, texting you... um, right as you said to remind to be like this is andrew tribeca except it's much better than andrew tribeca was in the second season especially yeah and um but no i had a lot of fun with this as well uh and kate you're absolutely right like some of the jokes should get old really quickly but no every time they went but you're gay and bye jack and i just went i can't not laugh at this And it's, it's, it's like you said, it shouldn't have been funny. And then they just kind of kept it going and you kind of laugh because they give, they give the references enough room to, they give the jokes enough room to like be funny later. And I think that make, make sure that the <clears throat> jokes continue to be funny. And yeah, I just, I really latch onto this in part because I'm a huge John Hanna fan. Like I love John Hanna to no end. And so watching him just play this very, dour but really just terrifically funny um cop i was just i was all in and to simon's point about like taking the piss out of uh, the british comedy uh british police dramas the one reference where they um end up in this small um hamlet somewhere and he's yelling at all these danish people who are trying to get away from their endless stream of violent cop procedurals i just went I need Jack Cloth to go to go to Denmark <laughs> and have an inner inner agency dower off with some poor depressed cop from Denmark. It will be the best thing ever. I need him to meet Wallander guys. <laughs> uh, the to to, uh, to Kate's point about uh, Charlie Brooker in this this versus Black Mirror. What I find fascinating is that Charlie Brooker has obviously not lost his sense of humor. I was reading an interview with him where he was reading um, some of the some of the articles that mocked Black Mirror for its self seriousness, and he and one of which featured the featured the 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 theoretical episode synopsis: "What if phones, but too much?" <laughs> and uh, he actually ended up sneaking that sentence somewhere into the most recent season of Black Mirror, uh, which I didn't spot, but still kudos to him. Um, you know, he, he obviously still has that instinct. Um, he also still hosts shows like, um, oh God, that new, that news series that he's on that I, that now completely, uh, completely has, has gone out the back of my mind. Is this green white? Uh, no, uh, but uh, damn it. Now, now it's gone now. Anyway, um, (laughs) not that one. Anyway, he's obviously got, uh, he still has his, uh, his ability to, to mock and self mock, but man, Black Mirror could so use even 5% of the levity of of this show. And it's so strange to me that it's so uh, ghettoized onto shows like this. But anyway, I would, also, I would say that for anyone who uh, is trepidatious about Black Mirror, at least watch the episode San Junipero from this, yeah, from mm-hmm. this uh, past season. Because it's, uh, it's got Mackenzie Davis. It's got... Uh, Google uh, and Beth Ra. 
It's got Gugu and Bathara. It's it's and it's actually really a, a beautiful and optimistic episode. Probably the only optimistic episode of Black Mirror ever to be made or ever that will be made. Uh, it's really really worth seeing. Anyway, back to this. Uh, yes, let's talk about John Hanna. Uh, anyone who's seen Spartacus uh, will know why he is so beloved. Um, I I don't know him from really anything any, anything but that and this, but. What they share is there's just such a shamelessness to his performance in both shows that I think is is uh, sort of connects them, and he just he has this wonderful unflappability. There's a, a scene in the first series where he, go, he you know the where he goes to like the the typical rundown council estate and has a, a conversation with the troubled youth, and <laughs> uh, just can't just can't make heads or tails of what's going on. And the scene could so easily, like there is so like when that se- when that sequence starts, you, you you know there's so many ways for it to go wrong, in terms of just like you know mocking, uh you know like mocking the the people of color in the scene or like mocking uh mocking the you know the the local slang or whatever, um and you know there is there is a little bit there's there's some light mockery on that side but it's mostly punking, uh it's it's mostly punking cloth and that's that shot of of him just trying to decipher what's going on for like a full I would say five or six seconds before just saying what is mm-hmm. just one of the it's we're we're dangerously close to explaining the joke which is never funny but it's just it's one of the most like beautifully pure bits of comic face acting I, I've ever seen it's just a beautiful beautiful moment he always commits to his characters I mean John Hanna people will know him obviously at the Televerse, we love Spartacus, and we don't mean the movie, though the movie's fine, but the show is amazing. Um, but but even so, like in in the Mummy, he's the weaselly brother. He he gets ca- cast as like the untrustworthy, but probably down in there somewhere, there's a nugget of good that makes you root for. Him. Like he gets cast as that a lot. He's currently doing that on Shield, um, and and he's you know he's also he's got just he can have such a punchable face too. Which is very uh, fitting for something like his character on uh, on Spartacus. But when he needs it, he he will absolutely he will go ridiculous. He will commit to these line deliveries and to like for in this show the 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 physicality of it. The you know like the ridiculous hair and wig when he's playing his brother. Like all this is like there's. He's completely sincere. There's never a wink to the audience. There's never any sense of of being in on the joke. He's just completely committed to whatever the character and the scene, or in the the in this case, the show, the comedic tone of the show needs. Um, and that's crucial for this type of comedy. Anybody who who tries to like be smarter or better than the stupid jokes immediately just ruins the scene and so having john hannah center the show you're you're starting out already um in a good place and then the 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 entire cast i mean the entire cast is follows his lead and is doing the exact same has shows the exact same commitment and like i feel like we have to underline the level of silliness going on in this show i mean this is this is the kind of show where the, the first series has a running gag about how one of the characters is just uh, a, a cardboard cutout, a, a little cardboard cutout that you never quite see moving. Um, this is a show with like o- like visible erection jokes, like you're very, just gonna have very visible, very like. visible erection <laughs> jokes. Uh, you know, this is a show that that makes the implicit that's going on in in shows like this like 
horribly, horribly explicit, uh, and then tries to milk it for laughs. And it's also one of those shows where, like, you're going to have to accept that, I think, for any given viewer, somewhere between six and seven out of ten of every of every gag or gag type is going to land. And the other, you know, the other three or four out of every ten is not going to land. But that's okay, because those ten gags all hit you within the last nine seconds. Yeah, and that's really important. And I think the rapid-fireness of the jokes really kind of work. Like, um, the big one that stands out to me, and it's it's really quick and really obvious, is, like, they end up, like, getting kind of doing some meta-commentary about, like, cinematography and editing and Jack just goes, continuity doesn't matter. And the very next shot, he has his beard is gone and he's just talking for a few minutes and then the beard is back in the next cut. And I mean, it's not acknowledged in any way, shape or form. You're just like, wait a minute, didn't he have a beard just now? And I mean, you can catch it and it's still good. And then if you don't catch it, it's not good. But um, I, I still think that there's just it's so packed, um, even when they're getting slightly meta or even when they're winking just a little bit. Like you, like you both have said, no one's in the cast is in on the joke, and that's really essential. Like even when they're breaking down these characters into just their types of what they're supposed to do in the tape of like ASAP, um, who's mm-hmm. just there to deliver endless streams of exposition. And at first, I was just like, "Oh, so he's just here, and he's he's the token minority on the force." And then you realize steadily. All he does is deliver exposition, and you're just like, oh, he's just the cop that delivers exposition, and they're liter- that's going to be the entire joke for every single episode. He's just like, this tree was planted in 1987, and it's just, this is terrific. This is really, really good stuff, and is, if you're, like you've said, if you're deeply familiar with cop, the cop procedural drama, genre, you're just like, you start picking up on this stuff, and it's just really, really funny. Well, and again, on those shows, how often is the only person of color the cop who's given no character and no backstory except for the one unfortunately racially tinged episode? (laughs) Uh, And then most of the time just relegated to uh, having exposition as they hand file folders over. I mean, that's all the time that's what happens. So, So it's so perfect that they then take that to the nth degree. Of course, also just the... Every character has some joke about their name, except maybe the the in the morgue, maybe not them. But I mean, old man all the time. Like I was every time they they did cloth jokes in the third series, uh, of course, with Jack's brother Terry Cloth. And like it took me, it took me oh three hours to get that joke, Kate. I didn't get it until like <laughs> the next day when I was thinking about it. I just went, oh, Terry. Oh God, there's. I just I felt a terrible, but I'm also someone who took like three episodes to get the live more joke on iZombie. So <laughs> don't listen and, to me. <laughs> and, and like this, this is also a show that will do anything for a laugh, which means occasionally it won't work. I mean, like there's this absurd sequence. I forget whether it's in the first or second series where uh, it's set in the morgue and there ends up being this like extended homage to Serge Gainsbourg. Uh, that's that, you know, this like weird necrophilic incestuous thing. That's like it goes on forever. It's not really funny, but like I appreciated their their willingness to go out on this absurd limb to like try for it. Uh, and that's you know, to me like even when the show is at its worst, it's always trying, and it's never and it never tries anything for too long. Like it's it's always on to the next thing pretty quickly. 
Uh, I guess it's also a good time to mention that uh, the series features some other familiar faces that people might enjoy. The second series, which is the Undercover series, uh, features Stephen Delane uh, from Game of Thrones and other places. And the third series features, and this is probably why it's my favorite of the three series, uh, Karen Gillan, who is, as usual, completely charming and hilarious. Uh, and I really, really miss seeing her in very silly things like this. Oh, NTSFSD SUV, man. So good. She was so good in it. <laughs> I didn't do that right. NTSF colon SD colon SUV colon colon. That's the appropriate title. Yes, that's but, right. But um, yeah, no. When she when she showed up, I was like, oh, everything's better with Karen Gillan, especially when she gets to be silly. <laughs> yes. When she's like in the car with uh, you know, it's Carrie is in the car with Des, and she's talking about her dead uh, her dead mother or dead father, whichever one it is. I don't remember. Dead, dead dad. dad. Because it was a made up story. Or they're both the dead. And, and I think. she's like, she's got legit tears streaming down her face in the middle, like that, like she's pulled up like like that in the middle of a comedic scene with nothing to draw from. There's nothing natural that you could she could have no. you know gotten to. And she's selling the crap out of it. Oh man, Karen Gillan is awesome. And uh one of the reasons that she's so great on the show is that uh, A Touch of Cloth is really, really great at mocking uh, the, the tropes of, of sex and and sexism and sexiness when it mm-hmm. comes to uh, to these shows. I mean, the, the whole thing with Anne Oldman and her bisexuality and how it makes it edgier than other women. Uh, or like, or like <laughs> or just... You can't have a power lesbian who doesn't end up being, who ends up being, benef- yeah, who doesn't end up being the villain, who ends up being just a, a nice, good person. Yeah, yeah. No, just the the show just mercilessly mocks like the the notion that anything other than straightness has like a has a sinister or like edgy edge to it. Um, and then with with Karen Gillan just like mocking the, I mean, mocking her own attractiveness really, um, and in, including yet another visible erection gag. Um, <laughs> I mean, she's just again another one of those actors who's just so so game. And yes. Uh, Thank you for mentioning NTSFSD SUV colon colon or whatever. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to stop and do it right. Uh, but because that we really didn't have enough of that. I've just realized. No, not nearly. Not nearly. Though Filthy Sexy Teens, I think they renamed it, though. That is actually became a thing. So I'll have to seek that one out. I have, I'm behind on that one. D- did you watch any NTS- NTSFSD SUV, Noel? No, I did not. Do you know what this is? Yeah, I know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, so for listeners who don't, because nobody watched it, like even at Comic Con at the the panel for, um, uh, oh my goodness, their main for for Children's Hospital, nobody in the in the room watched NTSFSDACV. Uh, Karen Gillan was on playing uh, Daisy, who was a uh, she was a Brit. No, pretending then she had to pretend to be American in one of the episodes in their Little Britain episode. Um, I don't know. She was delightful and hilarious in much the same vein um, as this. Uh, she's playing a goofier character, but the the comedy, the tone is very similar. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to see her in more stuff and in more goofy comedy, ridiculous stuff, because I think she's really good at it. Um, I also think we got to give some love, though, to, first of all, uh, just because his name is so incredibly British, Julian Rind-Tut. <laughs> that's like that's Cumberbatch levels of Britishness of a name, but he's the he's Tom Boss who we find out 
you know, killed Jack's wife and it still has promised to stop killing people with swords so that he can come back in the second season. Um, I, I never really warmed to that character, but I do appreciate the use of it, <laughs> especially in the second season. Um, but Saran Jones as old man, I think really, um, the stuff with her and Jack was probably my favorite throughout. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I liked how the show managed to find really good ways to keep delaying that obvious unresolved sexual tension. Um, even like as the kind of crazy way that they did at the end of season two with boss and, um, cloth getting together, um, officer and gentleman style. (laughs) And, um, making sure that when it finally happens in series in the third series that it just kind of just goes yeah fuck it she almost got she almost got killed in a weird cult ceremony slash assassination attempt yeah let's just have sex on the grounds in front of that front of that house yeah let's do it it's fine now and it's just it's really well executed and i mean that's also the ser- series where she's grappling with her drinking problem that she doesn't have because she can open bottles just fine on her own thank you very much and <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do get bury yourself or drown in there you can't you never get your hips through <laughs> yeah i've tried <laughs> yeah uh oh. I think another thing that I I would really like to make clear to people is like this is a really perfect show for people who watch too much television. Yes, um, yeah. Which is probably like a decent chunk of the Televerse audience because yeah, you know, that's sort of by design. Uh, because if if you're tired of the tropes of shows like this, uh, you will find great relief and release in watching a touch of cloth. Uh, because Charlie Brooker is tired of those tropes as well. And as much as I would have liked to see them see them do another series with like. Uh, a serial killer and like an in media res opening and other things that we've gotten so very tired of, like extra tired of in the last little while. Um, I'm very happy with the run that we did get. Yeah. It, it really, I mean, again, it's, it's with, with the, com- I mean, it's with commercials. So it's like, an, basically it's like an hour and a half movie for each season. Cause they're two episodes each and there, there, there's just enough to sustain that more than that wouldn't work for the tone because they unlike Andrew Tribeca they are keeping a more serious tone um for you know with obviously there's it's constantly ridiculous but like the the actual story that the characters are in (laughs) as opposed to the joke um they couldn't sustain much more time each one so they're they're paced pretty well um and after three you'd be get you'd be getting very close to um repeating jokes or repeating beats and it gets more and more challenging to find something new to do so i'm totally fine with three and out i mean if they do another one i'm sure they'll find i mean that the cast is talented enough and brooker can show that he's he's shown that he's really good at this and of course it's also we should mention co-created by uh boris starling and co-written by uh daniel meyer um but the the this is a, a good team i'm sure if they do eventually put together a fourth series they'll do a good job but it, it was just exactly the thing that I needed this week. The right length, the right amount of silliness to, you know, keep my mind off of some of the ridiculousness that's happening right now. And, uh, I don't know, just that, that combination of tones. Um, it, it was, it was, I, I do highly recommend listeners if, if it's been a tough few weeks for you as well, 
check out a touch of cloth. You will not regret it. If if the notion of watching a show where characters walk into a grisly murder sequence and then almost vomit, and then you realize it's because there's also a picture of Piers Morgan in the room. Oh God, the Piers Morgan jokes. Uh, then this is your kind of show. <laughs> this is your kind of show. Um, well, do we have any other gags we want to mention or, or performances or, or moments that come to mind? Uh, Simon? Uh, I just had to mention the Piers Morgan thing because he really is such a loathsome, loathsome human yeah. being. Yeah. Uh, I loved when they brought that back, too. I was like, yep, still good. Yeah. that, yeah, that If anything, they could have gotten more mileage out of that, and I would have been fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I think it's worth mentioning also um, Daisy Beaumont as De Beaumont as uh, Natasha Sachet, the medical examiner, um, mm-hmm. as the very sexy medical examiner. Of course. Um, of course. Like, how else would you describe a medical examiner? Um, I think, one, the character is just very funny in how overtly sexual she is. But the other thing I really like is, of course, there are only two women on the show, so they have to hate each other just on principle because otherwise where would the conflict be and so just anytime she sees old man and they they just immediately just slag one another endlessly um in part just because they're just supposed to hate each other because they're both women apparently and that's how this kind of works again going back to taking the piss out of cop shows is like oh we've got two female characters well they have to hate each other because otherwise what are we going to do have them be friends no that's just silly um, so I really, enjoy, and I also just really enjoy that performance as well, especially in the third ser- season where she apparently dies and then is fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as long as you only shoot, get shot in the part of the chest or the part of the brain, where there's nothing important. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can recover and you'll be just fine. Um, the, the sight gag I'll mention, um, is when they travel to the quaint village of Funtcuck. And the sign, the welcome sign, says, please pronounce carefully. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. Oh, I, didn't oh. I had a good laugh at that, too. <laughs> oh, man. So there's, there's wordplay. There's uh, some very delightful uh, uh, physical comedy. The, the chase scene that they have, the ridiculous chase scene that they have in the first series, I think, does suffer a bit in comparison to some similar things that we've seen, even just in something like um, like the fences gags and all the Cornetto trilogy, you know, the Cornetto trilogy films, or, um, you know, certainly Shaun of the Dead, or sorry, uh, certainly Hot Fuzz. But in general, the physicality and, 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 and uh, uh, slapstick works well, and then you'll just get these visual gags, like Funt Cuck, please pronounce carefully, uh, it's it's delightful and uh thank you simon so much for for coming on and uh getting because i would not i've heard of this one for a while when you mentioned it i was like oh yeah i've been meaning to check that out i wouldn't have made time for it so i was very glad that i did it was just what the doctor ordered um so thank you simon um where can our listeners find you and your work online oh boy um well i podcast sometimes at uh at tv roundtable which you can find at tvroundtable.com. We also registered pppantcity.com and pppants.city, so you can also find us at either of those places. That That is a true... <laughs> okay. Those are true facts. Uh, yeah, we snagged those up right after The Walking Dead Season 6 finale. That was um, a good idea. That's oh, a great idea. Uh, it, I mean, it hasn't brought us fame and fortune yet, but, you know, anyway... Um, yeah, you can find me there. Um, I do, I do some podcasts with the uh, lovely and talented Sean Coletti and Rainy Dankovich. And, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at 
What is? Oh yes, Hollow Mines, which is in. Clever anagram of my name that actually doesn't connect to anything at all, so it's really not that clever. <laughs> well, at least I understand uh, where it came from now. I was always wondering about that, and I apparently am not good at anagrams. So now I know, and now our listeners know well as well. Thank you again, Simon, for coming on, of course. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. <laughs>